listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to podcast number 85. It is Thursday, July 29, 2021. And after offering the astrology of a rare asteroid apocalypse during 2021 part one, we now present the astrology of a rare asteroid apocalypse during 2021 part two. This new podcast contains the chart for the premiere of the movie The Day After Tomorrow on May 17, 2004 in Mexico and the horoscopes for former host of the Coast to Coast AM radio show Art Bell and writer Whitley Strieber who are the co-authors of The Coming Global Superstorm, released in 1999. Several important charts regarding the rare asteroid apocalypse in 2021 are provided in the previous podcast number 84. Overall, this is the 85th podcast offered to the public since May of 2019. I didn't anticipate I would be doing a part two on this subject. And also right now, just so you know, out here in Oregon, as many of you know, uh, the bootleg fire, largest fire in the United States, uh, is happening in our state. Um, and we have the fire sign of Aries rising now, Chiron, the wounded healer centaur body that has a 50-year cycle, is rising on the eastern horizon. So is the moon. So is the far distant planet Eris. They're all on fire signs. And um, Chiron also, as I shared so much, has a lot to do with shamans and mentors rainbow bridges between spirit, soul, and personality, and keys that open doors to higher consciousness as well as twilight zones and many other meanings. So without further ado, um, part of what I want to do, and I'm going to do the same thing that I did last time, I've been downloading all kinds of stories. Now, I've shared so many different podcasts uh, in the last two plus years, so I recommend that you shouldn't just jump into this if you haven't listened to podcast 84. Plus, I did 13 podcasts connecting the coronavirus and astrology, but you definitely want to go back to podcast 84, the one I just did last week. I didn't anticipate I would be doing this, um, but the reason is right after I finished doing that podcast using the word apocalypse, I was very hesitant to do so because I've been working with the asteroids ever since I got into astrology in 1972-73, and I've shared why my great teacher, Eleanor Bach, who brought forth the first hardcover uh, asteroid ephemeris for, for Pallas, Ceres, Juno, and Vesta. And uh, so I gave out her chart last time. Her chart was also given before. I've shared many of her writings that appeared in our uh, mundane Earth Astrology magazine, Welcome to Planet Earth, in the 1980s and 90s. And I've been reading some of her um, articles, particularly the, the couple of them related to Pallas Athena. And as I shared last time, and I will share again, because Pallas Athena has so much to do with the human immune system. So I'll, I'll share more about that. But if you listen to the previous one, you'll know where I'm going this time around. Now, literally, when I was done with the previous podcast, where I, I was hesitant to put the word apocalypse in there, but it seemed like I was supposed to do that in the title. The very next day, um, Chris Hayes on MSNBC started his show using the word apocalypse, that all of these disasters that seem to be happening with, with the four main elements, really, fire, earth, air, and water, and all the extremes 
from all over the planet that this is an apocalypse and that's what brought to mind the great movie the day after tomorrow uh roland, roland emmerich who who uh directed that movie uh dennis quaid in there jake gillenhall was in that movie emmy rossum um who had been in the phantom of the opera um as a young actress she was in there so many other stars and whenever that that show appears um i i wind up watching it again because it seems so um focused on what was going to happen that it might happen a lot sooner so i don't want to spoil it if you've never seen it you should watch the movie um and and judge that for yourself and right after i did that last podcast and i saw um what chris hayes was saying and also i downloaded a story that in siberia where things should be usually pretty cold they're having an extraordinary bout just like out here in the west of the united states with all these fires so um, let me just give you at this particular point, before I, I get into the heart and soul of this one, I want to be reading from three of the books from Alice Bailey. I've shared before about lucistrust.org, where I worked in the uh, early 1970s in New York City. And uh, also in the podcast before this one, uh, I was talking about Geneva, Switzerland and um the summit meeting between um, the two presidents, Biden and Putin, as well as UFOs. And I mentioned and indicated in that podcast about the five-pointed star of these major cities around the world, which are so crucial, that are planetary inlets for extraordinary power. So those cities are Geneva, New York, London, Tokyo, and Darjeeling. And so I want to refer to this because right now we're having the Tokyo Olympics. And last month, we had this crucial meeting in Geneva, Switzerland. So two out of the five, five points on this powerful five-pointed star are now being energized. And these other areas of, of London, New York City, and Darjeeling are particularly places where the Delta variant um, has come out of India, then, then went to the United Kingdom, and the London area affecting them. And then due to plane traffic and everything else, the United States through New York City as a major inlet of air traffic has come here. And now the Delta variant, which I'll talk more about with some of these stories that I've been downloading. And as you've been, if you're listening to any kind of news, wherever you listen to it, TV, radio, internet, etc., you'll you'll be hearing that this Delta variant is now the, the main variant and it's far more transmissible. Um, even as of today, um, from the Washington Post, um, a document that they discovered, which ha I guess has not been officially released and may be released tomorrow from the CDC, that the Delta variant is as transmissible as the chickenpox, as well as Ebola or the common cold. And what's interesting about this is over the last several weeks, as I've been listening to this gradual buildup of, of the, the fears and the concerns of the doctors, the CDC, the hospitals, different, whether it's local governments, um, the federal government of the United States, after all of this feeling of kumbaya, we, we were beating this back, people are getting vaccinated. Of course, there are many people who are unvaccinated for one reason or another. And um, it, it suddenly feels as if, wait a minute, and I was thinking about this at least a month ago, that we would get to a time fairly soon, which is now, where they wouldn't be just talking about, oh, this strange variant, Delta. Of course, they, they started naming these variants, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, and there's even a Lambda uh, variant and so on. 
But this particular Delta variant, which, which hit India a couple of months ago, and they thought they had escaped everything. I mean, you could just go back into the news. Um, and their authoritarian leader, Modi in particular, kind of gave the all clear, I think it was in March, hey, everybody can go out and celebrate. There were all these religious festivals that people were attending without any masks. And of course, India, has, like China, has over a billion people. And they're still suffering enormously. And their variant is literally another, uh, they should almost call this COVID-21. They shouldn't be calling this anymore COVID-19, even though that was the original description of the virus and the name, because that's when it was discovered at the end of 2019. And um, whatever is going on now, and this is affecting many other countries around the world, so it's not just India, it's not just the United Kingdom and so on. At any rate, I will be mentioning, uh, it feels like Tokyo, what's happening in the Olympics, because they decided to not have any of their citizens or any any people, like. I watched a couple of, of these episodes here. Uh, there was one on archery. There was one on um, water polo, just for a few minutes, just to see if there are any crowds. There was a basketball game of the, the American women against the Japanese. And there's like five or six people in the stands. And for, some, for a lot of these events, because they decided it's too potentially dangerous and treacherous, so they don't want... The Japanese public there, and except for maybe some family members and coaches and so on, these games and so on, it's just like a, a kind of a strange reality. But we have to remember, and, and I'll share part of this from, from reading a couple of these uh, paragraphs from three different books by Alice Bailey, uh, who's, who was inspired by the Tibetan master DK. This is all, you can find these books and teachings at lucistrust.org. I've mentioned this place before. Again, I worked there. I was the editor of the Beacon magazine, which came out every two months. Um, this is way back in 1974-75 in New York City near the United Nations be before I was fortunate enough to go to the Fintorn community in Northern Scotland. So I'm going to be reading a couple pages from this large tome, The uh, Esoteric Astrology, about the five inlets, and also from the external externalization of the hierarchy and the destiny of the nation. Some of it may be a little, I shouldn't say redundant because it's slightly different, but all the different teachings here, This, these teachings went on from 1919 to 1949, where um, Alice A. Bailey was the channel for this great teacher, the Tibetan Master D.K. And all I can tell you is that if you get into the literature and you see the quality of the writing, esoteric philosophy, the seven rays, this idea of the five-pointed star, five inlets, and so many other things, uh, you'll find it incredibly fascinating and, and uh, mind-illuminating. So every day now, I, I've shared, I go to a place called Smart News. I'm not saying it's the greatest news source in the world, but I discovered it a couple of years ago. And what I like about it most of the time, I'm not saying 100% of the time, but what I like about it is you can decide which different periodicals, news stations, online places from left to right, up, down, on all kinds of topics. So you get a wide variety of things. And if there's anything that ever sounds as if it could be quote unquote fake news, I keep researching it, checking other areas to make sure, you know, this is a bona fide story. And again, um, so, so let me just, this is just in the last 24, 48 hours, just to give you a sampling, because what I did last week, I didn't really want to, shall we say, 
blame the, the four main asteroids or accuse them of creating an apocalypse. It's not just them. And part of the reason I waited another day or two, I was going to do this podcast two days ago, but if you're into the cosmic calendar, remember astrology, cosmic calendar, calendar with a K, the new app based on my 40 years of doing the daily cosmic calendar that used to be at the center of Welcome to Planet Earth, the astrology newspaper and magazine that I published and edited for 20 years. And all these great writer, all these great astrologers worked um, on Welcome to Planet Earth. So um, we've now created an app and it's free one day at a time, but it's for pennies a day. You can subscribe to look into the future, three weeks, four weeks. Right now, the cosmic calendar is going through August 31. Today is July 29. That's over four weeks. So if you decide to subscribe, it's $49.99 for a whole year. And right now, from our website at www.greatbearenterprises.com, anyone who subscribes for a year or renews, you can get a complimentary timeline report, which will be sent to you as an attachment to email. It's computerized, but it's completely based on your exact birth data, including your birth time running for six months, giving you lots of guidance about transits and progressions. We have 15 different kinds of astrology reports. They're created through Matrix Software, one of the top software astrology software companies. Reports like Skylog, Life Progressions, Four Asteroids and Chiron, um, Just for Women, so many different great reports that are available. But at any rate, part of the reason is to get into your chart, your transits, your progressions, your natal chart, and particularly to learn about the power of Ceres, Pallas Athena, Juno, and Vesta, as well as Chiron. And so um, most of these reports, like uh, the timeline reports, Skylight Life Progressions, they don't include the asteroids because the, the software has been developed for the main planets, for the sun and the moon, uh, often the nodes of the moon as well, and your birth houses and rising sign and things like that. But there is a report it's a natal report, four asteroids, the four main ones, and Chiron, which is a natal report, and I highly recommend that. We have a special going right now, three for one. Normally, it'd be about $135. It's it's discounted to $89.99, and you get, just for women, a great report. If you are a woman, that's great for you. If you're a guy, then get it for uh, the, the key female uh, that you'd like to give it to, and a four asteroids and Chiron natal report, and... Um, you you also get one year of Skylog, okay, um, which is one of the best written reports on your major transits and progressions. There's also another one for the same price, which is the Sky Within Natal Report, an advanced personal numerology report, which is fantastic as well, great interpretations, and also one year Skylog. So I'm touting these things because these are astro-educational services, and we're all going through crises, every single one of us with loved ones falling ill, passing away, um, job changes, people losing their positions in, at work, uh, people having to work from home, mothers needing to decide about their children going to school, the fact that ch young children can't be vaccinated yet. You know all these different stories. Okay, so here's just a sampling because I do wanna stay on the track about an asteroid apocalypse uh, and part of this is because literally in the last 24 hours, the largest asteroid series, now astronomers have considered it since 2005, a dwarf planet, uh, that's their designation. Ceres is, is in the main position where a large planet should be between Mars and Jupiter. 
And I've shared many times before when I've shared about George Lucas and Star Wars and brought up again, we don't know why between Mars and Jupiter there isn't one planet and that there are thousands of small bodies. Again, the first four, as I shared last time and other times, Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta were discovered by astronomers between 1801 and 1807. So, um, at any rate, what's happening is Ceres and Sedna, a faraway planet discovered November of, of 2003 that has the an 11,400-year orbit, Sedna. So you go back to the last podcast and some other ones where I shared about Sedna. Sedna and Ceres just came together, and they will be coming together two more times. This is late in Taurus. So if you go back to that last podcast, I talked about the connection to the Pleiades, the seventh star, uh, seven sister stars in late Taurus, and the fact that Ceres, as a key member of our solar system that we've been using now since 1972-73 when Eleanor Bach came out with the first asteroid ephemeris, for Ceres to be locked up with Sedna, which moves extremely slowly, and that Ceres will move forward into Gemini shortly, but then it will stop and go retrograde, and we'll have two more Ceres-Sedna conjunctions. In the last podcast, I gave the chart for the series said in a conjunction that just happened yesterday. And I shared um, some things about that chart. But we're not done with series with Sedna. And the fact that Sedna is a planet that relates mythologically as a goddess of the frozen depths of the ocean. Again, you can listen more to what I shared the last time. It is very significant that Ceres, having so much to do with productivity, with Mother Nature, with uh, grains and cereals and land, as well as drought when things are negative, labor, people who work um, on the fields and so on, and just labor force in general, also all uh, maternal uh, connections, mother-child connections, mother-daughter connections and so on are all related to Ceres. And for Ceres to be hooked up in a rare conjunction right now and then in the beginning of 2022, when we're going we're gonna to have uh, almost uh, Pluto will be racing to return in the United States birth chart in late Capricorn. I shared that before a couple of times in some of these podcasts. So we've got our hands full with Ceres and Sedna. And it doesn't mean that it's all negative. The other thing I want to highlight again is Pallas Athena in late Pisces is with Neptune. And they already came together on May 30th. And they're about to come together again in Pisces. Uh, this is very crucial uh, that I wanted to re-emphasize this time. I did talk about it in the last podcast. They'll come together again in Pisces on August 27, and then they'll come again together January 17 of 2022. So Pallas and Neptune, three times, uh, two times this year, one more time next January, is doing something fairly similar to Ceres and Sedna, although Ceres and Sedna are in Taurus. And they um, are coming together once this year, which just happened yesterday, and then two more times next January. So if you see where I'm going here, so much of what's happening now is a prelude to January of 2022, when these asteroids with faraway planets, Pallas with Neptune and Pisces, that's one of the big water signs. And we, we're getting all kinds of flooding, as I shared before, and you've heard all the sto stories in Germany, in Belgium. Um, in China, terrible floods. There was just a horrific flood in a small town south of Tokyo a couple of weeks ago. A raging flood went into a small town. Uh, they showed all these pictures of it. Same thing also in the United States, in the southern states, 
uh, the Northeast have been hit by extraordinary floods. There's what's called the Derechko. I hope I have the right pronunciation of this giant windstorm that just hit Wisconsin in the last 24 hours. And I was just looking at weather maps. This is not fake news of, of some big storms, again, thunderstorms and flooding um, in the areas between Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania and going into the Northeast. And then one of the stories I think that I'll mention here is New Hampshire just got hit um, today um, by by floods. So here's what's going on here. These are just some titles from from uh, to get us going. And then I'm going to get into reading some selections about these five inlets that I mentioned before, Geneva, Tokyo, Darjeeling, uh, New York and London, which is this powerful five pointed star connected to what's called um, the Lord of the World, Sanat Kumara, uh, the being that said to live uh, in and around the Gobi Desert, but in an etheric body, not in a physical body. So you can read more about all of this and the whole history of what's called Shambhala, the hierarchy, humanity, the new group of world servers, the seven rays, um, so many uh, fantastic uh, parts of what the Earth is as a school in the solar system, not just a planet, and how the planets are also schools of knowledge, that humanity is really a species of the solar system. And this is not just the Tibetan Master DK through the Alice A. Bailey uh, teachings from uh, Lucis Trust and Lucis Publishing uh, that you can re you know tune into more when you go to the website. Rudolf Steiner, Edgar Cayce, so many other uh, esoteric philosophers and guides and shamans over the last several hundred years have pointed to the fact that we don't really understand, we can't really clearly see what the higher reality is because we're only looking through our eyes between red and violet. We can't see the frequencies that the sun is putting out, the wavelengths that the sun is putting out. Just below uh, red is infrared, which is heat, and microwaves and television waves, radio waves, they're all a slower uh, frequency than the color red. Then we get between red, orange, yellow, uh, green, blue, indigo, and violet, and then beyond violet, we have ultraviolet, which supposedly bees and birds, certain certain creatures can potentially see ultraviolet. Wouldn't that be extraordinary to be able to, to see in a higher level than the color violet, because it's at a higher frequency. Even the Tibetan master in, in certain areas talks about etheric vision and being able to see beyond the color spectrum, and then even beyond ultraviolet, we, we get uh, X-rays, we get gamma rays, we get cosmic rays. So we only see a, a thin sliver when we look through telescopes and so on. I've shared this before in some of the other magazines uh, and from the past from Welcome to Planet Earth and stories I wrote a couple of decades ago, but it is fascinating to realize that in the field of astronomy, that's the field that has developed radio telescopes and infrared telescopes and X-ray telescopes. In other words, somehow or another, a lot of the pictures we see in in one of the main magazines that I get as a subscription. I've only really had one subscription for many years. It's to astronomy. And it's a beautiful and incredible magazine. And so often you, for instance, the one that I just got for August of 2021, they have a whole fantastic article on, on Jupiter and the giant red spot and all these bands of colors and energies and vortexes going on there. Um, because there's a, a Juno mission that's been taking uh, from NASA that's been taking extraordinary pictures of, of Jupiter close up. And then there's a picture that they show and they'll say something like, this was done, this was this was a picture taken um, through the gamma ray telescope. It's like, what? So in other words, there, telescopes used to be the visual spectrum. 
from red to violet, whatever, that's how they were designed. But due to modern advances in the last 20, 30, 40 years, they've designed telescopes that can see in radio waves, that can see in ultraviolet, that can see in X-ray, that can see um, beyond X-ray or gamma ray and so on. It's very extraordinary to see these different ways that we, that we can't, um, in other words, to look into the center of the galaxy, there's often dust that's blocking um, what is a giant black hole or other incredible stars at the center of our Milky Way, which is said to be in the region of Sag uh, Sagittarius in our zodiac, around 27 degrees. So what we're doing through advancement is developing telescopes that have the ability to peer way 26, we're 26,000 light years from the center of, our, of the Milky Way. So in order to clearly see what's going on or develop our vision of what's more going on in the center of our galaxy, we need these advanced telescopes. So that is sort of opening the door to hopefully what will be thing, things like clairvoyance and telepathy and using higher, shall we say, sixth, seventh senses of, of our humanity in order to grow and evolve and see things and hear things on higher levels. Okay, so... Um, back to the storyline here. Okay, let's see if I can open up these. For some reason, it wasn't opening. Okay, hopefully this will happen. Um, what I'm trying to do right now is actually open um, a file here, and it doesn't seem to want to open. So I have no idea why that's happening. Anyway, I'm going to close that up. So um, just take it for granted. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that I've been downloading stories, whether it's about salmon in the Northwest, the, the bootleg fire out here, the floods that have been happening throughout the east coast of the United States, these storms that are going on recently, um, this apocalyptic issue going on in Siberia. So the whole planet is sort of coming down with this um, apocalyptic energy, and it all seems to be converging right now. Now, that doesn't mean that every single day and every week and every month from this point onward, we're going to be we're going to be stuck with all of this difficulty. But something is definitely happening here that is pretty extraordinary one way or another. Okay, so let me read from First Esoteric Astrology, and this is page 457 of this incredible book. Um, this is the Tibetan Master DK as Alice Bailey channeling, and this, this was actually done in the 1940s. Um, this is, so this is a direct quote, and it's part of a, uh, um, a chapter called The Science of Triangles, there is another point of interest to which I wish to refer and is one which is little realized by the average occult student. I refer to the outlets of planetary energy through the means of which great and general effects are produced in the external planetary life. In this fifth root race, there are only five such outlets as far as effects on humanity are concerned. Man's responsiveness to them is demonstrated by the fact of their relative importance in conditioning world events and world affairs. Wherever one of these outlets for spiritual force is found, there will also be found a city of spiritual importance in the same location. These five points are London for the British Empire, New York for the Western Hemisphere, Geneva for all of Europe, including the USSR, Tokyo for the Far East, Darjeeling, which is in India, for all of Central Asia and India. Later, two more points or outlets for energy will be added to these, but the time is not yet. Through these five places and areas in their neighborhood, the energy of five rays get, pours forth, conditioning the world of humanity, leading to effects of planetary significance and determining the trend of events. 
A study of history and of current affairs will produce some understanding of their importance in connection with four of them. The effect of the force flowing through the Darjeeling Center is not so immediately apparent, but it is of major importance as a disturbing energy for the hierarchy, which is the area, I'm just adding this now, of masters and teachers and more of where the soul energies of human beings are focused. Um, it is, Darjeeling is a major importance as a distributing agency for the hierarchy and particularly for those members of the hierarchy who are dealing with and influencing current human affairs in this time of momentous crisis. These five points of conditioning energy produce two triangles of force in their interrelations. The first one is London, New York, and Darjeeling. The second is Tokyo, New York, and Geneva. Um, Geneva and Darjeeling are two centers through which pure spiritual energy can be directed with more facility than through the other three, and they therefore constitute the higher points of their respective triangles. They are more subjective in their influence than are London, New York, or Tokyo. Together they form five centers of impelling energy today. And then um, he goes on to talk about what are called the governing rays. There are seven rays uh, in, this, in these teachings, just like the seven colors of the rainbow, the seven notes of the musical scale, the seven days of creation and of the week, and so on. Okay, so um, it's pretty fascinating, and that's from that particular page. Now I'm going to um, go into the externalization of the hierarchy, if I can find the right pages here, and uh, talk a little bit, uh, yeah, this is on a couple of pages toward the end. This is another 700-page book, uh, so it's pretty fascinating here. So this is from page 675 of what's called the externalization of the hierarchy. Earlier I stated that the physical plane areas or localities which constitute the present modern exits for energies through which directed energies can pass to, to carry out the creative process are five in number. New York, London, Geneva, Darjeeling, and Tokyo. These five form a five-pointed star of interlocking energy, symbolic of the major divisions of our modern civilization. I would have you bear in mind that all that I am here giving you, anent energy, is in relation to the human kingdom and to nothing else. I'm not relating these energies to the other kingdoms in nature. I am here concerned with physical plane utilization of energy through the power of directed thinking and on behalf of the evolution and well-being of mankind. At each one of these five centers, one of the masters will be found present with his ashram and a vortex of spiritual forces will there be organized to hasten and materialize the plans of the Christ for the new and coming world cycle. The organizing of these five centers will be done slowly and gradually. A senior disciple will appear and will work quietly at the foundation work, gathering around him the, need, the needed agents, aspirants, and assistants. All these workers at any particular center will be trained to think and the effort now present in the educational and social world to force men to think for themselves is a general part of this training process. By the way, let me pause here. When he was writing this, he would often say a man rather than a human being. So uh, bear with this kind of uh, older terminology in terms of gender. Back to what the Tibetan master was saying through Alice Bailey here. Until a man can do his own thinking and deciding cannot be an intelligent, willing, and understanding cooperator, working with an ashram and controlling and directing the creative process. If the new heavens and the new earth are to be a fact and manifestation, and in reality it means a great recreating process must get underway. And this is the concept lying behind 
the teaching anent the five centers on earth and the part which they will play in rebuilding and reorganizing the world. As the next few years bring into focus the hierarchical intention, disciples and aspirants must look, must look for these people and, and these few women as well who will be working as a group along spiritual lines in or near one of these five localities. Initial opposition to the founding of these centers of clear-thinking men and women working freely and understandingly with one of the masters or senior uh, initiates is already unhappily present. It is to be found in the narrowness, the biased information, and the lack of freedom of the totalitarian schools of thought. That This was inevitable for the Black Lodge, ever, in, uh, ever endeavoring to parallel, offset, and undo the work of the White Lodge, and hitherto quite, un, quite successfully. But the cycle of success is slowly closing because the energy of goodwill emanated by the will to good is rapidly becoming effective. In London, in New York, in Geneva and Darjeeling, and in Tokyo, a master will eventually be found organizing a major energy center. At the same time as ashram will continue to function upon buddhic levels, for the entire personnel has not been alerted for externalization. The ashram will therefore be working on two levels, and yet that is not a correct statement of fact, as there are no levels, as you well know, but only states of consciousness. Ask me not how this can be. Ponder on the relation of this dual and simultaneous appearance by attempting to grasp the nature of the manifested form of the planetary logos in the person of Sanat Kumara. Sanat Kumara is not the personality of the, of the planetary logos, for personality as you understand it is not existent in his case. It is not the soul of the planetary logos because that soul is the anima mundi and the soul of all forms in nature. Sanat Kumar, the eternal youth, can be seen by those who have the right, presiding, for instance, over the council in Shambhala, yet at the same time he is present as the life and informing intelligence upon and within our planet. You have therefore five points where the externalization of the ashrams will take place and eventually be focused. From these points, as time elapses, other ashrams, subsidiary in nature, will be found emerging, sponsored and founded by disciples and initiates from these five ashrams, and representing the three major rays and two minor rays. To start with, they will be founded through the presence in these localities of some senior or world disciple. It, will, it must be remembered that the forerunner of all movements, which appear upon the physical plane, is an educational propaganda. Therefore, some disciple upon the second ray, which is, by the way, the ray of love wisdom, will come into action, first of all, in, in all these five points. He will be followed by his disciple upon the seventh ray. The seventh ray, just so you know, is connected to um, order, magic, and synthesis. And then he, he goes on here. All world movements are, as, as well you know, externalizations of subjective ideas and concepts, and a phases of formulated thinking and the appearance of the hierarchy upon earth in tangible form is no exception to this rule. Okay, I won't go on there, but that's a lot from that particular book, Externalization of the Hierarchy. Um, so let's see here. Just so you know, I probably won't read this now because it would be redundant. But this also appears, the whole thing about the five centers, uh, in The Destiny of the Nations, which I believe was one of the last, it's a shorter book, it, it happened closer uh, the first printing, uh, 1949. Again, the teachings be between the Tibetan master uh, DK and Alice Bailey started in 1919, went for 30 years. By the way, there's a statement in every one of these books, an extract from a statement by the Tibetan master DK, where he explains who he is and so on. 
And one of the most important things about all this is, um, and I'm just going to pull from, from one particular spot here. This is a, a short statement about who he is as a master and te teacher, the hierarchy. And in the last paragraph of the short statement, which interestingly, we're about to have August of 2021, he, he wrote this or, or channeled this over to Alice Bailey in August of 1934. What's that? 87 years ago. So he said this, uh, this is toward the end of his statement. It is for you to ascertain their truth about what he, the teachings are. It is for you to ascertain their truth by right practice and by the exercise of the intuition. Neither I nor Alice Bailey is is the least interested in having these ideas acclaimed as inspired writings or in having anyone speak of them with bated breath as being the work of one of the masters. If they present truth in such a way that it follows sequentially upon that already offered in the world teachings, if the information given raises the aspiration, the will to serve from the plane of the emotions to that of the mind, the plane wherein the masters can be found, then they will have served their purpose. If the teaching conveyed calls forth a response from the illumined mind of the worker in the world and brings a flashing forth of his intuition, then let that teaching be accepted, but not otherwise. If the statements meet with eventual corroboration or are deemed true under the test of the law of correspondences, then that is well and good. But should this not be so, let not the student accept what is said. So it's very interesting that a long time ago and in all of these books, that came out for 30 years, the beginning statement from the Tibetan master wanted to um, make sure that people would not get englamored. And there's one of the key books when I was there that nobody wanted to order, I shared this before from a humorous standpoint, was Glamour, a World Problem. And people were ordering a treatise on cosmic fire, 1,300 pages, a treatise on white magic, another five, 600 pages, esoteric healing, another 800 pages, esoteric astrology, 800 pages. Discipleship in the New Age, two volumes, like over a thousand pages. But nobody was ordering a small book called Glamour, a World Problem. And um, I, I, so I decided I needed to read that after all I was working there. And I discovered that in that book, the Tibetan masters started saying, look, if you get obsessed by all of these ideas, if you are so focused on every truth that you feel is coming through here, then you get trapped, you get obsessed. And so that whole book talks about glamour, illusion, and maya, different levels uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically by which human beings can get trapped, particularly about things that are esoteric, about masters, about the hierarchy, about higher levels. So basically the bottom line here is that these teachings are phenomenal. At the same time, you have to live your life, do the best you very that you can, and not be overwhelmed by so many of the esoteric areas of life that you forget about doing whatever is necessary in your own life with your family, your work, and so on on a practical level. Okay, so the essence of, of why I wanted to share this particular podcast, we'll get to that in a moment. And you'll see, if you go to greatbearenterprise.com, as I mentioned, with every single podcast, there's a folder. Uh, these, these podcasts can be listened to on Apple, Spotify, and other places. But the charts... And the images are only on greatbearenterprise.com. So folder 85, this is in our Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope section at our website, greatbearenterprise.com. And you'll see this time around that there's um, the charts, which I think are really amazing for Art Bell, which we'll get to in a moment, and Whitley Strieber, because it turns out that they, 
they were actually born four days apart in 1945. They're both sun sign Geminis, and that's the reason I wanted to bring this up. Aside from the fact that they they were the ones who co-wrote the coming global superstorm. Uh, and what's fascinating is I, I've shared with you, I've been on coast to coast about 30 some odd times since August of 2004. And uh, George Norrie is a wonderful host and I have a great producer. I was already on there three times this year. And by the way, um, and this is not a, this is a pitch for them, but they're not sponsoring me to do this. You can become what's called the Coast Insider. This is AM radio, and it's often carried on AM, you know, complimentary free um, at night. But if you're not a night owl and you can't listen to it because the show is usually on live between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Pacific time, they have something where you can sign up. I think it's only about 6 or $7 a month, and you can get all these podcasts. And so I've been on there, um, again, for 17 years. But if you signed up now and you were interested in, in in tuning into coast to coast and all the other topics, there's UFOs, there's ETs, there's Bigfoot, there's all kinds of uh, history and current events, money issues, economic issues, everything under the sun. It's a wonderful show. And um, then you can get the podcast of all these uh, unusual people who are on the show. And I've, I've been on the show three times this year and over the last, I think they, they go back about five years. They, go, they don't go all the way back to 2004. Otherwise, you'd be able to hear the first time I was ever on, which was during a three-hour show in that summer. And so that started the ball rolling where I was able to talk not just about all the consultations I've been doing for thousands of people. Uh, and again, you can see that on the website uh, in our astrology shop. There's my telephone consultations. There's five different kinds if you want to actually get a reading with me. So I've been doing that for 47 years and I'm continuing to do that. And there's we put um, there's a recording so you get a recording um, of our conversation as we're having it and then that evening uh, you get the recording to listen to as many times as you want so there are five different kinds of telephone consultations however on coast to coast much of what i share is what we call mundane or earth astrology the astrology of war leaders the astrology of nations every nation has a chart whether we can figure it out or not with the united states we have a main chart for july 4th 1776 if we're talking about modern China, October 1, 1949, even Russia, which goes back to the USSR and hundreds of years before that under Tsarist Russia, Russia has a new chart, December 25, 1991, for when the Soviet Union ended and the Russian flag was hoisted up at the Kremlin. And um, Russia's going through their first Saturn return ever since that time because Saturn has a 29-year cycle. Several podcasts ago, I focused on that. And... Um, the, the, the uh, rebel um, uh, Navalny, who's now been put in a prison camp and so much of the, the rioting and different things that have been happening in the last year in Russia. So all of this is pretty fascinating. The astrology of nations, uh, what we call mundane or earth astrology, as well as eclipses, major planetary alignments, and so on. And this particular podcast sort of fits into that area, as well as the, the astrology cosmic calendar that I said earlier is now an app. So um, what I want to do is before I mention the day after tomorrow and why that's significant, that's where we're going, um, the extraordinary nature that the premiere of that particular movie happened on an extraordinary day, which now explains why it's not just myself. Many people have tuned in and watched that movie over and over again. So again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's very clear the name, the day after tomorrow. And there was a premiere, because I looked it up in what's called the International Movie Database, what's called IMDB. Um, they have a great app. If you're into movies, you're, you're a film aficionado, and so on. 
you want to have that app. So many of you may know what I'm talking about, but whether it's TV shows, movies, and so on, with all kinds of reviews and other things. So it was in there that I was able to look up, you know, when the movie actually came out. And for instance, that particular year, um, the movie was distributed um, about a week or so later around the Memorial Day holiday in the United States and other parts of the world. But then you can see sometimes, and this was very rare, they suddenly said, well, the premiere happened to be in Mexico. And in the chart I'm using, I don't even know if it's the exact time. I'm using Mexico City and I'm using the evening of the day that they said that's the premiere. But um, it's not so much the exactitude of the chart of whenever the movie exactly started showing and people who were the stars were in Mexico or Mexico City that night. The point that I wanted to share with you is something just amazing was happening that day in terms of three particular celestial bodies that had no motion. So that we're, we're going to get to that right at the end of today. But before we get to that, this is the, the other bread and butter of why I'm doing this particular podcast. Okay, so right now we're having the Tokyo Olympics that were supposed to happen last year. And they couldn't decide until recently whether they're even going to pull it off or not. They almost decided... Um, a week or so ago, we might cancel the whole thing. That was a story by the, the, the person who was in charge of the organizing committee. Now, as you know, I have shared with you, if you've been listening, I've done 13 podcasts on coronavirus and, astro and astrology. So in the first one, um, and you can look through the whole list and get into all of those, and, and one or two of them is very important because I talk about Pallas Athena reading from Eleanor Bach because among the marvelous things of Pallas Athena, of which he rules, knowledge, wisdom, crafts, chess mastery, technicians, even on a, on a country level, our Pentagon and defense departments, um, everything that has to do with laboratories. I gave a whole list last time, so let me give that list again, um, just as a reiteration, because I do want to mention something very important about Pallas Athena. Hopefully I'm going to find that piece of paper. I've got a whole bunch of pieces of paper. Oh, here it is. Okay, so last time, this is this is from Eleanor Bach, a graphic ephemeris of um, sensitive degrees. And I gave part of this. It's from page 63. This is not something you could obtain. It's a spiral-bound, sprocketed, 8.5 uh, by 11-inch magnificent um, book about planets and about the four main asteroids. Just extraordinary. So she lists all kinds of things about what Pallas Athena rules. By the way, again, as I said, we have an report for asteroids and Chiron about where the four main asteroids and Chiron are by sign, by house, and aspect in your birth chart. So that's in our astrology shop in the astrology re report area, and we are doing that special, three in one. You can get just for women and the four asteroids and Chiron and a year of Skylog for an incredibly uh, discounted price. And that energizes you for this year into next year, particularly for Skylog which is also pretty much the best written report we have about cycles, transits, and progressions. At any rate, back to the little story here. So the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is Pallas Athena is connected to Neptune this year. And Neptune, as you go back to my podcast, the United States is going through for the first time in 165 years, which is a Neptune cycle. Neptune, right now in Pisces, is going opposite the United States Neptune from July 4th, 1776. And this just started earlier in the year. It's coming back um, in the next month or two, and then it will come back again in March of 2022. And the last time Neptune did this opposition to our natal Neptune was in the late 1850s. And that's when the time of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, that was the time that the states were beginning to 
decide, hey, we might secede, you know, particularly if this guy Lincoln comes in there, becomes president, decides to run for office. And that's exactly what happened. April 12 by 1861. So actually in the next couple of years, Neptune is going to exactly make the same alignment to what it did um, in, in 1861. And we're heading toward that time in the next four to five years. And that's when, uh, when the Civil War began, April 12, 1861, uh, in South Carolina um, at Fort Sumter, we have an exact time of the, the bombing of Fort Sumter. It's about 4.30 in the morning. That, so we have an exact time for the start of the Civil War. And that's a very extraordinary chart for them, which took place over the next several years thereafter. And so Neptune is going to be coming back to that same area. It turns out it's the last degree of Pisces. That's going to be happening in 2024 to 2025. But it's the lead in right now, what Neptune is doing right now in America's birth chart by going opposite our Neptune happened in 1857, 1858, 1859 over the next couple of years. I'll go back to John Brown and Harper's Ferry. Again, as I said, the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Um, bleeding Kansas and the whole issue of Kansas and Missouri entering the Union in different ways. There was so much tension, and now we've got our political divide, particularly between the extreme progressive side of the Democratic, uh, more liberal areas, and then the extreme right side of, of the Republican Party and so on. So we've already had our fill of this, but it doesn't seem to be disappearing. We had the January 6th event at the Capitol, of course, and we see that it's only six months later, and there's still all this d dispute between right and left about the truth of what happened there. They're just starting the committees right now on TV this week, which is interesting because I'm bringing up the asteroid apocalypse. We just had Ceres and Sedna together yesterday, uh, which was Wednesday, and it was Tuesday the day before on the eve of Ceres and Sedna coming together. Think, of, think about it this way. Ceres is in our solar system. It's very powerful. It's Mother Earth. It's Mother Nature. And we see Mother Nature going full force in this apocalypse right now. And Ceres of the, of the four main asteroids is the chief one. It's the largest one. It's the mother force. As I mentioned before, and as, as the researchers like Eleanor Bach and others, the four main functions for the feminine principle, mother, daughter, sister, and partner um, in, in marriage or relationship, those are the four functions. Ceres is the mother. Pallas Athena is the daughter. Juno is the partner. Um, and Vesta is the sister. So we can see a sort of fourfold division of the main functions for any woman in this life. Now, Pallas Athena is just has extraordinary energies again connecting to the immune system so this is what um eleanor bach was saying and I, i'm pretty much repeating from the last time just so you know that pals athena is connected to olives and the owl and shield and spear she rules the immune system genetics dna the art of war technology uh, immunization laboratories think tanks research engineering technicians innovation, um, computer programming, and then um, also uh, uh, afflictions regarding solving problems, perception, um, autism, dyslexia, breakdowns of the immune system. So normally Pallas Athena has all these wonderful qualities. Neptune that Pallas Athena is connected with also has some amazing qualities, but Neptune has a cycle of 165 years. It's much more of a mass uh, and energy. Same thing with Uranus and also particularly Pluto or Sedna, which has the 11,400 year cycle that the planet Eris 
named for the sister of Mars, which is a 560 plus year cycle, twice as far away as Pluto. So these outer planets are more mass consciousness. They're much harder for human beings to control. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize in astrology is in your birth chart and your transits and progressions, you don't have easy access to Neptune, Pluto, Sedna, Eris, and so on, unless there's something very unusual going on, like somebody has Sun conjunct Eris or Moon conjunct Sedna in the chart. But even then, to be able to wield the force correctly, to be able to, to express Sedna easily, or Pluto or Neptune is extremely hard to do. The way I see it and from my studies, you could have a, a, a Krishna, a Buddha, a Jesus, a, a Mother Teresa, somebody who's a Gandhi, somebody who's very advanced and doesn't have to be religious figures. We have some extraordinary people in all kinds of fields, civil rights, social, entertainment, politics even, even though that seems in dispute these days of, of having geniuses in politics who are above politics, so to speak. Sometimes, um, uh, kings or queens, uh, princes and princesses. It depends on you know all, the whole world of, of the different areas, philosophy, psychology, geniuses and people we looked up to and uh, education across the board, literature, art, and so on. So Pallas Athena is a lot more. I mean, with if, if somebody's into weaving, if you're into needlepoint, uh, you're working with pottery, that's also uh, connected to Pallas. Um, just so so many different fields. Now, one of the things, this is why I wanted to focus on Pallas Athena for a moment. What I started thinking is we're having these variants now. In a year and a half or a year and a half ago, we have this pandemic coming out and everybody's concerned about that. Did it come out of a lab? Did it come out of a, uh, a, a wet uh, market? Bats? What, where, you know, where to come from all this dispute? Now, a year and a half later, We've got all these variants coming out. And I was thinking, what if a Pallas-Neptune conjunction, remember it's in Pisces, Neptune moves very slowly. Pallas-Athena, as I'm sharing, is connected to laboratories. It's connected to uh, the immune system, DNA and genetics. And I find it absolutely true of what Eleanor Bach wrote and, what, and her ideas about Pallas-Athena. I happen to be born when Pallas-Athena and the sun are also in a trine or a flowing relationship. That, not that that proves that, that Eleanor Bach has to be completely correct, but she was my main female teacher. She's born the same day as my mother, oddly enough, three years later. Uh, so my main female teacher is a sun sign Capricorn, my mom, sun sign Capricorn, and my main male teacher, Dane Rudger, one of the great eminent astrologers as a male in the 20th century, sun sign Aries. And my dad was born with sun, as a sun sign Aries. So what are the odds that I would find my two main teachers, male and female, to have the same sun signs as my parents? And I wasn't even supposed to get into this. I thought I was going to be a doctor or uh, a professor or um, something along those lines, studying history or working in that field. And so things changed around. I wound up creating the dream and vision of being a professional astrologer, publishing an astrology newspaper and then a magazine, having a website greatbearenterprises.com and all these other services. So my, what I'm getting at here is what I'm worried about, shall we say, in this whole idea of the asteroid apocalypse. What if the way we understand astrology, where even in the cosmic calendar, I might say, oh, Pallas and Neptune are in a conjunction. For instance, when you read the August 27th, if, if you're subscribing to Astrology Cosmic Calendar, 
uh, or you're getting it one day at a time for free, whatever. On August 27th, you'll see me mentioning Pallas and Neptune are in conjunction at 23 degrees of Pisces. Now, it's only going to be a couple of lines there. But the way most astrologers would look at that if they are using the asteroids, not every astrologer does use the asteroids, but I certainly do, that they would just look at it as, okay, well, here's what Pallas Athena means. Here's what Neptune means. Now they're in conjunction. They're in the sign of Pisces. And so you would you would interpret that just as a kind of static, almost like two-dimensional, not three-dimensional, not five-dimensional. What if the variation of the of this uh, virus this year, I mean, think about this, okay, May 30th, Pallas, Athena, and Neptune were conjunct, okay, that was the first of them, then they're going to come together on August 27th, then they're going to come together January 17th. Why is it that uh, a couple of months ago, in the United States, it was all like a kind of kumbaya thing, we know that Joe Biden coming out, and again, I have this is where we're going to go in the next podcast when I talk about the void moon and connecting it up to inaugurations of presidents when there's a void moon. Did a whole magazine on that. I, I brought that up last time and I thought I'd be doing that this time, but now that's on delay because of what I'm sharing here. So what if Pallas Athena with Neptune on May 30th started making the Delta variant more, uh, uh, like we became more aware of it, not that that was the official cause, but the fact that we have an asteroid Pallas Athena, which has about a four to five year cycle. It's not always in the sign of Pisces. Neptune has been in Pisces for a number of years. Neptune spends 14 years in a sign. We also know that the United States is having Neptune opposing our own Neptune. So we're in a dicey time period. We also have Neptune squaring our Mars from July 4th, 1776. And when the United States came into being, Neptune and Mars are square. They're in a right angle. It's one of the the more frictional alignments that we have. So Neptune is not just opposing our own Neptune, from which it did in the 1850s, but it's also repeating the square to Mars, which also happened back in the late 1850s, also leading to the Civil War. I mean, got all these tensions now in our society. And it isn't just extreme right-wing Republicans versus progressive liberals and, you know, whether infrastructure is going to pass and whether the former president of the United States had his election stolen and is Joe Biden legitimate or not legitimate? Most people accept that, of course, he's legitimate. Other people say, no, he isn't. Uh, so we've got these rivalries, but we also have these rivalries regarding the pandemic and whether people, so many people are getting vaccinated, particularly older people because more immune compromised. But now we, we don't have a vaccine yet for, for little kids. I've got grandkids who are, who are little. There's so many little kids out there. Schools are starting. Preschools are starting. We don't know what we're doing. The CDC also, uh, I put out a chart for the CDC and the World Health Organization, the first of the 13 coronavirus and astrology podcasts. So if you go in the folder for that first one, you're going to find a chart for the CDC and the World Health Organization. And as I shared, as I remember in, in that particular first of those 13 podcasts, I didn't like what I was seeing with the CDC chart and its transits and some of the NATO positions. And the same thing with the World Health Organization. And look what we had last year with all the confusion uh, of the World Health Organization, the CDC, the way the Trump-Pence administration didn't trust the World Health Organization, as well as the CDC. And now we still have these rivalries and within our own administration, we're not getting a whole lot of clarity from every medical source, every health source, the CDC, Dr. Fauci, all these other doctors. We have all these various, just like we have variants of the, the, the virus, we have all these slightly different ways in which the doctors are looking at it. 
And when the public starts listening to this, whether it's on a regular TV show or on the internet or whatever it is, often the tendency is just to throw up our hands and say, look, even the experts, they don't know what's going on. They give a different story from one day to the next. And that's, that's not what medicine ought to be. Now, again, we've had incredible changes and, and improvements with medicine from the Spanish influenza from, from uh, 1918 when we didn't have a whole lot of treatments, we didn't know what's happening. We, but we're now falling back into a lot of these problems. So my, my theory or my hypothesis, and I, and I hope it isn't true, but I have a feeling it may very well be, that the fact that Pallas Athena, which has so much to do with the immune system, and Neptune, which Neptune has wonderful qualities when it's working well, compassion, psychic sensitivity, creative imagination, art, music, dance, theater, photography, all these great areas, in many ways, Neptune is like a higher Venus when it's functioning well. A lot of heart, a lot of soul, and so on. But it also has an, a, a shadow side. Remember I mentioned glamour, world problem. And we can't get obsessed on things. In, in the Tibetan master teachings about the seven rays, Mars and Neptune are both said to be connected to what's called ray number six. And I shared about this in one of the podcasts about esoteric uh, astrology. It's said to be seven rays. The United States is particularly connected on a certain level in, shall we say, our personality, quality as a nation, to this battle between Mars and Neptune. Now, there are designations in esoteric astrology that Mars is considered as a planet to be less evolved than Neptune. There are certain planets that are said to be sacred. In other words, planets are not what we think they are. Let's just put it that way. They're not just a rock or a ball of gases. Each planet, and I know this is going to shock a lot of people, there's humanity on every single planet. Humanity is part of the solar system, including the sun, the moon, not so much the moon, although that is also where humanity has been and where we've actually gone uh, back in 1969 and those different moon landings. People would say it never happened. It was a, We concocted the whole thing, but that's not true. Um, we actually did go there. And if anything, we've had more sort of secret kind of things going on in the moon than never having gone there. So um, planets have humanity, but it's not, they're not physical human beings on Venus or Mercury, but on Earth. This is where we have, at this point in evolution, our solar system, this is where we're living our lives. Depending on what you believe or work, uh, understand with reincarnation, study that longer than astrology. So about 50 years of studying reincarnation, whether it's the ARE, the Association of Research and Enlightenment with the Edgar Casey Foundation of Virginia Beach, so many other areas about reincarnation that we're souls and spirits having human lives. We've been here before, we will be here again, and so on. So disregarding the exactitude of how that works, um, the way that it works, the different forms and schools and ideas. What I'm trying to bring up is that there is a hierarchy, there is a spiritual universe in many ways, um, most of the time protecting humanity, except when the dinosaurs were extinct, or if you never know if an asteroid somehow or, or some uh, alien body or comet comes into the Earth, if it's the destiny of the Earth to go through some kind of upheaval, as when the, when the um, dinosaurs went through an extinction, when the, when the meteor um, hit in the Yucatan area, destroyed the dinosaurs, it was 60 plus million years ago, and so on. We're still learning about all these different things. And again, climate change, all these different kind of things that are now suddenly happening. So we'll have to see what's going on here. But my concern is that the, the mixing, the communion of Pallas Athena as an asteroid that takes four to five years to go around by orbit with Neptune that takes 165 years 
And the higher energy of, of Neptune and Mars for the United States when it's working well is idealism, okay? Living up to one's ideals. But the shadow side is fanaticism. And that's and, and particularly those two planets, Mars and Neptune, have a lot to do with religion and philosophy and dedication and devotion. And this is the, the, the anger, the volatility, things like that led up to the Civil War, that kind of thing, the tensions that are happening now in our society, all the problems with civil rights, the treatment of Native Americans and other minorities, uh, our colonialism, our being the world's policemen, all these different things, how the CIA has functioned and other organizations. Um, so th there's a lot of duality and a lot of that is in the United States chart because Mars happens to be in Gemini as well as the outer planet Uranus and they're squaring Neptune, which happens to be at the very top in Virgo of the United States chart. And now Neptune by transit is at the bottom, the root point of the United States chart going opposite Neptune at the top and squaring Mars, which is in our seventh house. Now there's also, as I did in a recent podcast, this other planet called Chaos that came into being, um, I'd have to go back, there was either 1997 or 1998, but I have the chart for that. And that's another uh, podcast recently where I talked about the real planet Chaos. And Chaos, it turns out, a real planet discovered before the year 2000, um, happens to be conjunct Neptune at the top of the United States chart. Now, we didn't know in July 4th, 1776, that Neptune was going to be at the top of our chart at, at the power line. Neptune wasn't discovered until September 23rd, 1846, when we discovered it. Um, at that point, it was an Aquarius. But when we went back to 1776, it turned out it's at 23 degrees of Leo. And the top of the United States birth chart, based on the work we've done here over decades with Welcome to Planet Earth and with many astrologers who were writing on there, is that we have uh, seven degrees of Sagittarius rising when the United States came into being at the Declaration of Independence. And at the top of the chart is 25 degrees of Virgo. And Neptune is right within two degrees, approximately the top of the U.S. chart. But chaos is right next to that Neptune, even closer to the vertical meridian point. So we really have a Neptune chaos conjunction. And that explains a whole lot about civil rights, about civil war, all of these different disputes, and all this chaos, uh, confusion in, in terms of the body politic and social activities and so on. So uh, at any rate, that's a bit about the Neptune and, and the, the Pallas Athena. Now, my big concern about the Tokyo Olympics, as I said, it's part of this five-pointed star energy. We now have this Delta variant. Where did it come from? India. One of the five points on the star is Darjeeling, which is in India. And then because of the connection particularly between India and so many people of Indian um, extraction living in the United Kingdom, then the Delta variant showed up in, in, the, in London, in England, and now it's come to the United States due to the connection every day, flights from uh, Heathrow Airport and uh, London to New York City, JFK, LaGuardia, and so on, and to other points in the United States. So now we've got the Delta variant, and it's all hooked up to the um, this five-pointed star. And again, last month, we had the summit meeting. No, it doesn't, you don't have to have thousands of people coming in. We had not only um, the president of the United States going first to uh, Southwest England, then to meetings in London, again, part of this five-pointed star, pa power five-pointed star connected to what's called the Lord of the World, inlets of planetary power uh, and, and energy into five areas of humanity. So 
so we have this amazing meeting in Geneva. And again, Putin comes with his entourage. We got Biden and his entourage. So, and Russia is being inundated. And we think they're lying tremendously about the numbers of people. We, we know now that same thing in China, same thing in so many other countries. And there are countries all over the place. I was just reading how many difficulties are going on in Nigeria, Singapore, some of the smaller countries in Asia that got a handle on uh, COVID last year, they're all breaking out, a lot of them with, with uh, the Delta variant and some of these other variants. And it may be that the Delta variant will get replaced by Lambda or some other one. But definitely, uh, if these stories wind up and tomorrow there may be something coming out of the CDC, whether whether they're going to validate or not, if, if this Delta variant, and again, this is particularly of concern for people who are unvaccinated, who are in, in the prime of life or older or, or hesitant. And again, what are we going to do with the children? Now there is a shot or vaccinations, I believe, between if you're 12 and older, but there's no vaccinations for little kids. And so not only can young people tr uh, be transmitting this, if they don't require teachers and schools to be vaccinated, um, we could have a whole lot of havoc enforcing kids to go back to school. On the other hand, we can't just have kids staying home forever. So there's a happy medium in there, but we need to protect our kids. We need to protect a, a whole country. And there isn't, uh, it depends on what state you're living in. Right now, we know that Missouri, Louisiana, and there are certain other states um, where the vaccinations, uh, Mississippi is another one and, and so many others that are still hot areas for people um, with transmission of Delta in particular. Again, think of all the different airports, people coming in from overseas, visiting relatives and things like that. And I do believe that um, Joe Biden made a mistake, President Biden, when he sort of, uh, again, from good intentions earlier in the year, not realizing we'd have a Delta variant, was saying, oh yeah, July 4th, you know, if we can get to almost 70% people with two vaccinations, and we got to about 68%. But then we have so many, uh, actually, according to Michael Osterholm from out of uh, this great professor who was the co-author of um, uh, Deadliest Enemy, came out a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, but about uh, viruses and pandemics and so on. Um, and he's born on my birthday three years later. And so he's got Neptune influencing his son, but he's become this celebrity on TV. Neptune has a lot to do with television and radio and um, somebody who's sort of in, a visionary, and that's what he is. So it, the name Michael Osterholm, and he's been reporting many, many times here. I had a quote, and I don't know if I'm going to find it exactly here, but he's been talking so much about 100 million Americans at least, and that he used the term, it's kind of like firewood for a fire, that all of the people who either don't want to get vaccinated, can't get vaccinated, they're in areas where it's hard to get vaccinated, um, religious reasons and so on, we're not going to solve, we're not going to have herd immunity or anything. Now, again, because what we have now may be almost a different virus. I think that's what is we're, we're being led to. Eventually, I, I believe they will stop focusing so much on all these variants. I mean, there's a lot of letters in the Greek alphabet, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, lambda, and so on, all these different letters. So the point is, is that the, the public finds this to be probably ridiculous in trying to keep up with variants and so on. I mean, that's that's for the elite in, in medicine and research and so on, where they're talking about what, what the virus looks like, it's different hooks, 
the, how inflammatory it is, how it um, hits the immune system and so on. So the palace and the Neptune, I believe, could be because we haven't, we're, we haven't even had the second palace-Neptune conjunction. That's August 27th. The next one will be January 17th, all in Pisces. My sense is, is that we're going to keep seeing the CDC, the scientists, the doctors, they're going to want to be saying, oh, um, if you've had two vac vaccinations of Moderna or Pfizer, you need to go get a booster shot. I think that's coming down the pike. Whether it's going to be required, it's definitely going to be something they're going to talk about. I, Joe Biden today was on TV, and I wasn't actually listening to it. And then I realized, wait a minute, he's been on like 40 minutes on the screen. What is he talking about? And I got closer to the TV, and the whole thing was about new vaccination rules, suggestions, federal employees uh, all have to be vaccinated. So we're going to see a whole bunch of things. And then business, uh, as people go back to work, then the whole thing of teachers and administrators and principals and students and parents. There's going to be a lot of volatility in school districts and schools and arguments going back and forth, local school boards and so on. Because as this thing keeps changing, and what are we going to do in different areas if there's an outbreak, right? What happens if some young kids in a particular school in one part um, of a big state uh, come down with something? And then, th then it goes to another school. Are we going to start taking all the kids out? I mean, how quickly will a governor or a mayor or a local administrator or school principal or teacher? And how quickly will we be able to test students? I mean, if, if you get start getting another kind of epidemic or pandemic kind of thing in certain areas, then there's a lot of alarm bells going to be reached. Now, this brings up... Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is the Sturgis Motorcycle I, uh, Rally. Now, this happens in August. It's a town in South Dakota. I mentioned last time the governor there d does not particularly want to stop anything. She is a person who's like, uh, kind of, you. if people want to be free to ride motorcycles. Th last year, there was about 400,000 people. They came from all over the United States, maybe Canada. And then they tracked them after they left. This is in the middle of, of last year's pandemic. And I believe very strongly because they didn't wear any masks and it happened in this town in South Dakota and it happens every year. And they're expecting another 400,000 to 500,000. So my concern is you get something like the Tokyo Olympics. Remember, Tokyo is part of the five-pointed star. We just had Geneva being activated. Uh, Darjeeling's in India. That's where Delta arrived. As I said, New York City last year in the spring was like, ground zero, just like literally ground zero in 2001 with, with the World Trade Center. Um, I'm from New York City. A lot of those hospitals, when uh, former President Trump was talking about Elmhurst Hospital and all these hospitals, my dad, um, I was the only boy in my family. When I was a little kid, when he would go on, um, go to different hospitals to see his patients, and he was he was a, a GP, a general practitioner. He did house calls. He was His patients absolutely loved him. And he would take me as a little kid and just bring me uh, Kew Gardens General, Parkway Hospital. Uh, those were two in particular. But all these famous hospitals in the borough of Queens and Brooklyn, Manhattan, and so on, there were dozens of hospitals. And last spring, it was a, it was an, a nightmare in New York. And I, I remember in one of the podcasts, Coronavirus Astrology, I was shocked. I lived the first 25 years in New York City. And I, at one point, had an apartment in early 20s when I was actually working at uh, Lucis Trust, Lucis Publishing Company, where as pub, uh, the, the editor of the Beacon Magazine uh, came out every two months before I was lucky enough to go to the Findhorn community in Northern Scotland in 1977, which pretty much changed my life 
in a, in a fantastic way up in Northern Scotland. But the point was, is I used to take the subway. I was living in an apartment in Rigo Park, which is near Forest Hills, not far from where President Trump was, was born in, in Flushing. Um, so going back and forth on the subway to go to work, I couldn't believe that they had, hadn't shut down the New York City subway system, as well as the bus system. Well, well, this was the, the pandemic was raging. Now, I, this is a, a lifeline, but I had done a whole chart for the beginning. There was actually a chart for the beginning of the New York subway system, a, an exact beginning. And I wrote a whole story about that. And so that's a very kind of challenging chart in and of itself. And you combine that with the pandemic and they didn't shut it down. And then at some point, the, uh, de Blasio finally said, uh, we're going to take the, the, the radical step of like for one hour, we're going to try and shut down uh, you know, between four and five in the morning to spray, you know, and, and disinfect some of these. That was the answer, not to shut down the system where all these people, millions of New Yorkers are going back and forth. And this contributed to the incredible skyrocketing of, you may not remember all this, but where the morgues were filled, they couldn't bury bodies. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. It's not false news. This was actually happening uh, last spring. And then when you see what's happening in India, in the last two months. It's an extraordinary kind of thing. And they have some other illnesses that are going on in India. So my concern, and this is a big concern, so I'm not trying to be chicken little here, but it happened last year. And we are, unless the governor, Christy Nome, who's a born November 30th, I don't have the year in front of me, but her son is exactly on the United States rising degree in Sagittarius. And that would normally be helpful. And I think she may want to run for president at some point. But the thing is, is that that sun can also create burnout. Part of the problem, and I've done this in some of the other podcasts, we're talking about cryptocurrencies. We're talking, I just downloaded a story today about, wow, you know, Bitcoin is going to be soaring and the the Fed is thinking of creating a digital dollar and China was already um, working on that. China will be the first country to come out with the digital form of the dollar. What everybody is forgetting about are solar flares and that we're in a, a major sunspot cycle. And I did... Um, on coast to coast, and I've shared uh, in the chart before, the Carrington event, September 1 of 1859, when this CME, or coronal mass ejection, came out of the sun from a solar flare, September 1, 1859, two British uh, astronomers saw this, and in those days, we only had the telegraph, which came in 1844, but uh, so many telegraph lines, there were shocks, there were sparks, and other things, and they have now said that if that powerful of a coronal mass ejection, which is basically plasma and energies and protons and all kinds of solar wind hitting the earth. If there's a direct hit, normally we escape it because of the direct, some of these coronal mass ejections, they just go out on a slant, so to speak. They don't hit the earth directly. But if we get something, the way they rate these is from category C, which is the lower one, all the way up to X. So if there was a solar flare that's sort of X10 or X20, which would be one of the higher intensity solar flares. Solar flares can happen, again, it's it's basically a blast of light, a flare of energy, but if it carries what is called this plasma energy, it's, it can come within a day or two, sent at a rapid pace of this enormous amount of basically energy that it's ejected from the sun. So they have estimated if that were to happen now, our internet could, could be burned up. The World Wide Web, and here we are thinking of replacing Silver, gold, I mean, not the silver or gold and precious jewels will will ever go out of value because that this is what 
has been the basis of, of money, I mean, for a long time, silver, gold, and so on, when you think about it, particularly in the United States, by metallism. I've studied this a whole lot. All the different economic, uh, the, the great stock market crash in 1929, uh, these other crashes that happened in 1837 and 1893, and you can study all these things. And we have, you know, dollars, we have cash. And right now, they're at a point where cryptocurrencies, a digital dollar, and we're just not realizing that the power of the sun can destroy so much of the grid that we take for granted all the time. And let's not forget, as I shared before, this is the same grid that if we say, oh, okay, kids can learn at home, they you know, don't have to go to, to schools. Um, what, if, what if computers can't be used? What if there are blackouts or and other things that have happened? It's not just that the whole internet would go down. I mean, that could happen if it was a storm like uh, the Carrington event. So that would be the most extreme situation. We hope and pray that will never happen. But if it did happen, we'd be thrown back kind of into the dark ages. I mean, it would be really, really difficult. And they've estimated trillions of dollars, but whether it's electricity, energy, water, nuclear, everything is, is automated. Everything is part of an electronic network. All these cyber attacks, again, um, these are kind of almost like a warning system, an early warning system of what the sun could do to us. And yet we've got criminals, whether it be Russia, China, uh, North Korea, Syria, so many different countries and criminals in our own country with ransomware, particularly using Bitcoin because it, it tends to be more anonymous. So we've got some really dangerous things going on. And yet we're, we're thinking, again, to see an article today, the Fed is seriously considering creating a digital dollar. And part of the reason is because China's going to do that. And recently, I guess it was Ecuador decided or tried to vote, hey, we just want to we, we want to use Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And they're getting slammed by the the international fine, uh, the, the IMF, International Money uh, Fund and major banking institutions, particularly in Switzerland, around the world. We have Janet Yellen now as secretary of Treasury. She's very much against um, allowing cryptocurrencies to rule the roost and so on. Elizabeth Warren also, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons to be really careful about uh, Bitcoin. It's not just because of its carbon imprint and what are called the miners and so on, uh, the, the people who are mining Bitcoin. And may, maybe it'll keep raising itself. I did a couple of podcasts about Elon Musk and what's been happening there and the whole cryptocurrency thing is very interesting. So without further ado, to make sure, and there's no more that I'm going to be reading, but let me just present uh, kind of the piece de resistance here of, of why I wanted to bring all this up. I am very concerned that the asteroid energy, as I said, Pallas and Neptune are still going to come together on August 27 and January 17. Ceres and Sedna, which just came, to, came together yesterday in late Taurus, they're going to come together again in late Taurus twice in January 2022, and then the node, the nodes of the moon, which are fate and destiny, the north node will be there in late Taurus. That's another energy because it's the whole orbit of the moon, which connects the earth, the moon, and the sun. We're going to have Ceres, the main mother earth, nature energy of the mother force, particularly, which is connected also to crops and agriculture and food. And we, we've got a lot of crisis between the, we think about the fires and we think about heat and we think about firefighting and forests. We think about droughts. We think about floods, flash floods and all these things. But let's not forget, farms are now on the ropes. A lot of areas, they can't have, they don't have enough water as well for cattle and for raising crops. 
So we've got a lot of dangers across the board, including food. Um, and food is basically part of the series energy. And when you got series hooked up with Sedna, which we've only known about for a short time with the 11,400 year cycle, and not that Sedna necessarily has to be bad, because I believe a lot of Sedna's qualities, she is a goddess energy. I see her as a kind of Persephone, as I shared before, of the ocean world. So she's she is also connected to Neptune and Poseidon. So that's very interesting. We've got Neptune connected as a slow-moving out of planet to one asteroid, Pallas Athena, three times, with Pallas Athena connected to the immune system and everything happening now with the science and the inaccuracies and the accuracies of CDC, the World Health Organization, all these variants, we're all scratching our heads. We don't know what's happening. There's a great concern of what to do and how to do it in the United States and all around the world, and we haven't seen the end of that. So this is what's part of the asteroid apocalypse that we have an asteroid, Pallas Athena, that has a four to five year cycle, and it's hooked up with Neptune with a 165 year cycle, which negatively can represent chaos and confusion. And all the things I said about, particularly here in the United States, Neptune opposing our Neptune, squaring our Mars, repeating these cycles from the uh, second half of the 1850s. And then next year, Pluto coming back in the United States birth chart in Capricorn, three times in 2022 and almost again in 2023. By the way, that same Pluto, and this is also why the, the world situation is so challenging. This year, the main world challenge is Saturn in Aquarius and Uranus and Taurus making three squares. So that when we think about the world situation, you know, and, and from if somebody's not looking at the asteroids to say the asteroids have a lot to do with the climate change. Also, Juno with the south node of the moon in Sagittarius, I've shared over and over. Juno can represent peace and harmony when it's working well. But when it isn't working well, it can represent rage by the dispossessed and the belittled. And that's where we get terrorism. And we also get atmospheric storms through Juno. So part of the reason we're having this troublesome uh, weather conditions, Pallas and Neptune in Pisces, that's water. We've got Juno in, in uh, Sagittarius with the south node of the moon, which is a fate destiny point. That's fire. We've got Vesta in Virgo, which, as I shared last time, when it made a station on January 19th, right at the time when uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris became president, vice president under a void moon, Pals, uh, excuse me, Vesta, which has a lot to do with safety and security and is a fire principle. She represents home and hearth and the eternal flame. And that uh, station by Vesta was at 2123 of Virgo, exactly within one minute of arc squaring the United States Mars. And I wrote about this, and it's part of the thing that as well as I think Joe Biden means, in other words, he means well, he's in there at this particular point. The fact that, the, as I'll get into the next podcast, that this, this administration began during a void moon. Uh, as I've shared before, these void moons, they don't happen all the time at inaugurations, but they happen at... Frank, Franklin Roosevelt's fourth inauguration, and then he died uh, several months later, bringing Harry Truman into the White House. JFK had a void moon. He, he only served one term, as we know, and then was assassinated. The second uh, term of, not the first one, but the second term of Richard Nixon that started January 20th, 1973, a void moon. What happens a year and a half later? The scandal of Watergate breaks out. He has to resign in disgrace. Bill Clinton becomes president, 1993. There's a lot of challenges in his first administration, but the second time around, January 20th of 1997, there's a void moon. The Monica Lewinsky scandal comes out and he's impeached. He, he, he's tried in the Senate, but stays in there. But then 
his scandal affects Al Gore, who wins the popular vote by half a million over George Bush in the year that Juba and Saturn are together in Taurus in, in May of 2000. And then they have that whole 36-day dispute. And George Bush, as I call him, George Bush Jr. becomes president. Gore, even though he had the, uh, the popular vote, he doesn't even win his own state of Tennessee. Had he won his own state of Tennessee, Al Gore, Florida wouldn't have mattered. The hanging chads wouldn't have mattered. And Gal Al Gore would have been president of the United States. When you can't win your own state, this is what, you know, some people think, oh, Mark, he's more on the liberal end of things. Look, I call it as I see it. George Bush had a better chart than Al Gore. George Bush Jr. had a better chart um, four years later. Um, so when when he won again, uh, not as, uh, again, it was, it was a little bit easier for him to win uh, at that particular point. Um, but, but the thing is, is that we have, um, these void moons and the other one was a president Obama. And when, uh, Joe Biden came into office and that was in January 20th of, uh, 2009, again, there was a void moon. So what's odd here is Joe Biden, when he became vice president was, was, uh, vice president under a void moon. And then when he becomes president and Kamala Harris becomes vice president, there's another void moon. Now, he's still president, doesn't mean he's illegal. But as I will share the next time, you'll you'll understand much more because in the, the reason I want to do that podcast is void moons happen every two to two and a half days. It's usually when the moon is is toward the end of the sign it's in and it's going into the next sign. But a void moon can be so many minutes, so many hours, even sometimes longer than a full day. And I will get into all that and some excellent articles particularly from a, gal, uh, a guy named Al Morrison. He's passed on, but he was kind of the expert in uh, the decades of the 1980s and 1990s. And then he passed away. I don't, I don't remember exactly when he passed away, but he wrote an article for my magazine, Welcome to Planet Earth, and I'll read from that. That'll be the next time. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm concerned about what ha is going to happen with the motorcyclists. Okay, you got to watch that story. I hope I don't have to write about it but if that happens again, this country is in serious, serious trouble. And it's not because of any far-fangled cosmic thing. It's because a half a million people who are unmasked think they can do whatever they want and then go back just like they did last year. They did track their cell phones and what and motorcyclists, whatever, and they showed these kind of scary pictures of them all congregating in this tiny town in South Dakota and then going all over the four, the you know the continental United States, forty-eight states, because Alaska is is up there in the north, and so on. By the way, there was just an an earthquake in the last twenty-four hours on the day on the day of Ceres and Sedna, with Ceres coming together with this extreme faraway outer planet that rules the depths of the oceans, and extreme frozen conditions. So if you think of the concept of things being frozen, being fixed, in a way that maybe is hard to control you know, a planet that's 11,400 year orbit, we don't have anything else in our solar system that we know of as a planet that has that kind of orbit. That, um, when I shared about chaos, chaos um, does not have, chaos has a 309 year orbit, okay? And so it's an important planet that's beyond Pluto, but it's not so far away, like 11,000 so on years. And Sedna has some extraordinary qualities. We'll talk about Sedna again, but I have shared about it in different different areas before. So Sturgis, it's a small town in South Dakota. The other thing about South Dakota, as I've shared, and I have the chart for that in different podcasts that I did on the coronavirus, each state has, has its own chart for when it enters the union. And 
The problem with South Dakota beyond the governor and beyond Sturgis is that Mars in the state chart for South Dakota is at 25 Virgo. And 25 of Virgo is, is a very, very dangerous position for four reasons. One, it's the top of America's birth chart, close to where we have chaos and Neptune. Two, when Neptune was discovered September 23rd, 1846, that is where Mars was at 25 of Virgo. So the South Dakota Mars at 25 Virgo is in the same position um, as when Neptune was discovered 1846. The other thing that I found was that um, when the Spanish influenza started, it didn't happen in Spain. I, I did that in a particular podcast. It happened at, from Fort Riley, Kansas in the United States. Again, there was an emphasis on that position, that area. I think it was, I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was another focus at 25 degrees of Virgo in that particular chart. So 25 of Virgo, um, with all of these people, uh, motorcyclists meeting against Sturgis, and Virgo is connected to the school system. Every year at school start when the sun is in Virgo, and then nine months later, what we might say a metaphorical pregnancy cycle, the kids come out of school in Gemini. So it's very amazing that our school systems start when the sun goes into Virgo, which is one sign ruled by Mercury, which is a more internalized sign. And then nine months later, when the sun is in airy Gemini, the students come out, they've already learned their lessons, and they go out into the summer, and then they start another ritual in the fall. So it's very interesting that Mars, which can be, I mean, Mars has some wonderful qualities, courage, idealism, personal power, passions when they can be controlled, leadership, assertiveness, soldiers, sports figures, the muscles in the body. However, Mars has a whole bunch of challenging energies, in, particularly in medicine, inflammation of the body, anything that's an accident, where, where you have um, a cut or you're bleeding. Um, the heart itself as a muscle is ruled by Mars. The arterial uh, uh, system in the body, arteries are connected to Mars. Anything that happens in an acute way is Mars, an accident, um, a cut, somebody cuts themselves with a knife in particular, that kind of thing, or if they're stabbings, if it's violence, shootings where, there, where, where somebody, uh, if they're not dying and they're shot, they're bleeding, that, that's a Mars event. And then when things become over time and there are wounds and they fester or somebody has a long-term illness and that becomes Saturn, that becomes chronic or Kronos, which was the name for Saturn in Greek mythology. Mars and Saturn are a very interesting pattern. And every planet, every sign is connected to parts of the body, organs in the body and so on. So I have great concern about Mars and Mars just literally today entered Virgo. So I'm not sure which day Mars hits 25 of Virgo, but it's going to be happening in down the road here during uh, between August and um, September. So Mars itself is good, is already in Virgo as of today. It's the key sign of kids going back to school. And literally today, there was also a Mars-Jupiter opposition today. And then uh, from, from 30 degrees of Leo where Mars was, which is, by the way, the star Regulus, from constellation of Leo is at focus there and Jupiter at, at 30 of Aquarius. So there's a Mars opposition to Jupiter, Mars going into Virgo. And what do we have? We have President Biden talking for like a half an hour, 45 minutes about vaccination changes. We've got this report from the CDC, which will either be validated or not that it says the variant, um, the Delta variant is as transmissible as chickenpox, Ebola, and the common cold. Now, is that an exaggeration? Are they going to tamp that down or not? This will be very interesting. Okay, so 
I am not going to get into all the, char the charts of Art Bell and Whitley Strieber. But here's the amazing thing. When I realized, wow, this movie, The Day After Tomorrow, and the reason that the, you should watch the movie if you don't, haven't seen it is because it's based on the book, the, the, the Coming Global Superstorm, which was a book written by Art Bell, who had been the former host at Coast to Coast AM. By the way, he never allowed astrologers to be on. And once he passed the torch, torch to George Nori, that's how I got on that show. And I only got on the show because the night I, that somebody else was supposed to be on, they canceled. And somebody said, oh, there's this guy, Mark Lerner. He does mundane earth astrology. Why don't you call him? And it was a three-hour show. And so luckily it did so well and nobody else had been on the show and Art Bell hadn't allowed astrologers. Although, as I shared once before, I actually contacted Art Bell. I, I told him, you know, I called up. I said, I'm an astrologer and I know you don't have uh, people like myself on the show. However, I have this magazine, Welcome to Planet Earth, and I'd like to write up a short story about your chart. Would you be willing to give me your birth information? And I got his birth information and I wrote a little story about that. Now, that was a long time ago. But when, um, right after I did this part one, I started thinking asteroid apocalypse and I started thinking, and I didn't remember totally about the book that it, I just had a feeling Art Bell was involved some way with the, the movie, the, the day after tomorrow, but I had forgotten exactly how he was connected. And that's when I started researching, uh, a couple of days ago, um, wait a minute, the day after tomorrow was, um, created as a movie, again, directed by Roland Emmerich, who, by the way, is a sun sign Scorpio. You remember the movies Independence Day, 2012, and some of the others? That's all Roland Emmerich with all of these vast, you know, epic stories and destruction of the earth or near destruction and collapses of civilization and so on. So the, the day after tomorrow, though, was always interesting to me, which I, I, I like the actors and the actresses, and I like the way the movie is created, and I knew it was connected somehow to Art Bell. I, I didn't know that they had actually written that story or I had forgotten about it. And Whitley Strieber is the one who talked a lot about Greys and ETs, and he wrote a book called Communion. So they got together, they wrote this book that was published in 1999, which itself is a very interesting year for other reasons. Turns out, in uh, if you go to Podcast 84, when you see not only the charts in the folder, you'll see the cover of the magazine where last time I read about the series mystery and the cover shows the forgotten cycle, Pluto inside Neptune's orbit. And it's a very nicely done cover. It's from July, August, September of 1997. And I didn't read that story. It was uh, last time. But the point was, is um, every 247 years, which is a Pluto cycle, for 20 years out of that 247-year cycle, Pluto moves inside Neptune's orbit, and all these unusual ha things happen in that 20-year time period. So it turns out, like, when George Washington was born, and uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, those first three presidents, we were in one of those Pluto inside Neptune cycles. So then Neptune becomes the outermost planet, at least of the traditional planets, and Pluto moves into the Neptune position, and then they revert back 20 years later. Well, it turned out 1979 to 1999, we had the latest Pluto inside Neptune's orbit. And so um, I wrote about that in that same issue in the series mystery, and I might I might actually read this whole thing in, in a future podcast about Pluto inside Neptune's orbit. It has to do with the fact that the cycle from 1979, which was, by the way, when Iran had its revolution, that's the, the year of the hostages were taken in November of that year. 
The Ayatollah uh, had come back in the spring of that year. The hostages were taken for 444 days. Jimmy Carter lost the presidency the following year, 1980, to Ronald Reagan. And on the day that Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, January 20th of 1981, it was Jimmy Carter at the airport in Washington, D.C., receiving the four, these, uh, uh, I think it was about 55 hostages. They, they had been taken for 444 days. Now, there's a whole lot more than that, but the whole influence between religion and politics, the fact that Iran is still being ruled by religious leaders, um, and the whole history of our connection with Iran, going back to our overthrow of their leader, Mossadegh, who was elected freely in 1953. We overthrew him through the CIA. We installed the Shah of Iran, who had a secret police for, for 26 years. And then it was Jimmy Carter when the Shah of, of Iran uh, was suffering from cancer, who brought him over to New York City. And that's when the Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, who was in in, uh, in Paris, France, came home to back to Iran in a jubilant celebration in February of 1979. And 10 days later, his prime minister resigned, Bakhtiar, and that's when uh, a chart that he used for revolutionary Iran, February 11th, 1979. But it wasn't until the fall, November 4th of 79, that our hostages were taken, and then this led to the whole thing of Jimmy Carter losing, Ronald Reagan winning, and a whole bunch of changes. And it all started in 1979 when Pluto went inside Neptune's orbit. So when did it come out? And I actually contacted a scientist from, I think, Caltech or the JPL um, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I wanted to figure out when did w would Pluto be in the outermost planet again, and it was in January of 1999. So from 79 to 99, we had Pluto inside Neptune's orbit. And in a way, what was happening was Neptune, which is more connected to religion than Pluto, Pluto is more connected to politics. What happened was for those 20 years, that's where all of this terrorism, all of Islamic terrorism and so many of these things, a terrorist got ratcheted up from 79 to 1999. And it turns out that Art Bell and Whitley Strieber wrote their book in, and it was released in 1999, right at the end of that cycle. Well, then, of course, we have 2001, two, two years later, but this is a book about a storm, uh, the climate storm, and it's really fascinating. And now uh, it turns out that with this, uh, what I'm calling this asteroid apocalypse, I happen to realize, oh, uh, and this is the, the heart of the story here. These two guys, amazing guys, are born only four days apart. Whitley Strieber is born June 13, 1947. And then uh, four days later, on June 17, 1945, uh, Art Bell is, is born. Now, Whitley Strieber was definitely on Coast to Coast with Art Bell. That's how they eventually came together to write this story. So what's amazing, they're both sun sign Geminis. So much in their charts are the same. You can see their charts. And these are exactly timed charts, by the way. Uh, Whitley Strieber was born in San Antonio, Texas. 4.45 a.m., June 13, 1945. It's an exact time. Uh, Art Bell, June 17, 1945, 12.23 p.m. Does that sound made up? No, that's very specific from a birth certificate. Uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So you can see their charts. And, and again, they're very fascinating kind of charts. Um, but my point now is not to analyze that. It's the synchronicity. What are the odds that these two guys who wrote this um, this book, then Roland Emmerich took that, wrote the screenplay along with other people. Then five years later, after 1999, in 2004, the movie comes out, again, starring Dennis Quaid. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Gyllenhaal plays his son. Uh, Sella Ward plays the mother. 
uh, Emmy Rossum uh, plays the love interest, uh, the young girl, uh, the girlfriend of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. So this goes back to 2004, now 17 years ago. So the, the story is amazing. I don't want to spoil for you, but the point is it's exactly kind of what's happening now, that everything happens more quickly. And that's what the storyline is all about that you'll see. And it has to do with oceans and ocean currents and so on. And it's a great movie to watch now. Not that I say it's exactly the situation now, but here's the remarkable situation, kind of the lead up to this whole thing. In the, the chart, and you won't be able to see this when you see the chart itself, but you got to trust me on this. Uh, the day after tomorrow, you'll see a chart there, May 17, 2004, using 7 p.m. Mexico City. I'm guessing it was Mexico City, main, the main city. I think probably right there. I, don't, I assume people like Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal and Emmy Rossum and so on, that they were there. Uh, for the grand opening. Now, then the movie opened a little later in Germany, which is Roland Emmerich's home country. Then it was in the United States, England, and around the, the rest of the world in the Memorial Day time period. Like when Star Wars used to uh, came out the first time and the other Star Wars movies, the first three, they were always Memorial Day weekend because this is kind of like traditionally a time when the blockbusters would come out. So in 77, the year Chiron was discovered, uh, Chiron was actually discovered in the fall when Close Encounters came out that was directed by Steven Spielberg. So 1977 was big with Star Wars, Close Encounters, and Chiron has a lot to do with UFOs, with ETs, with pyramid technology, with things that have to do with shamans and mentors and spirituality, Twilight Zones and all kinds of uh, uh, holistic healing and music and dance and medicinal herbs and so many other things. So Chiron is involved in all this too, let's not forget. So uh, at any rate, here's the extraordinary thing. So I look up May 17, 2004, and I have what's called the Asteroid Ephemeris. These are books where you can see day after day how fast a planet is moving or not, or an asteroid. And one of the big things I learned in the very beginning, particularly from Dane Rudyard, because I read most of his books, Eleanor Bach was my main female teacher, but she didn't have a whole lot of books. Okay, she had the first Ephemeris of the hardcover of the main asteroids. And then it was later that she did both something called Planet Watch, which was a newsletter. And I started as a newsletter as well, stapled together. And that's what she had, a newsletter. She never had a newspaper or a magazine, but she was producing Planet Watch for her subscribers. So it was a written monthly installment. It was fantastic, mostly about the asteroids. And she discovered so many other things, like a, a whole list of things, including station, stationary bodies that are asteroids and other ones and having extraordinary power. And so she did a lot of research about planets not moving. See, in our culture, we have so many things about retrograde planets. And with my podcast, The Truth About Mercury Retrograde, I try and share that this whole thing in astrology, oh, Mercury retrograde, bad, negative, don't, don't order anything from Mark Lerner. These are all bogus kind of things. Mercury retrograde, planets that are retrograde, they happen all the time. There's nothing bad about them. We can't blame those planets. Planets go retrograde very often. They're part of the structure of the solar system. Earth is part of the solar system. There is helioastrology as well as geoastrology. And if we start confining planets and blaming planets, Venus every year and a half goes retrograde for six weeks. Every two years, Mars goes retrograde for 80 days. Every year, Jupiter goes retrograde for four to five months. Planets from Saturn, Chiron, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Sedna, Eris, every outer planet, they're going retrograde five five out of the 12 months of the year. And 
do you hear people squawking about, oh my God, Saturn is retrograde, what are we going to do? Neptune is retrograde for five months. Oh my God, we, we can't sign papers, we can't write things. Look, we have got to get a handle on this. I'm not saying that when a planet is retrograde, we shouldn't be reviewing, reflecting, being careful. But that doesn't mean we stop our lives. Mercury also rules breathing. And we don't stop breathing when Mercury's retrograde. Um, Mercury rules the air. Um, when we talk about you know, temperature going up and down, at least initially we had mercury in thermometers because it's volatile and it can represent um, the temperature going up and down in thermometers and so on. Uh, of course, there's a whole controversy about mercury in, in vaccines and autism and so on. We tend to get into very extreme things and it's very easy to blame a planet and a, and a retrograde cycle. At any rate, in the truth about mercury retrograde, in that podcast, I wrote about this many times. The United States is born July 4th, 1776. The Declaration of Independence has that date on the parchment. Mercury was retrograde. Okay, that was the beginning of the United States, the Declaration of Independence. When the New York Times started, as I often joke around, our former president would always say the failing New York Times, the failing New York Times, which started September 18 of 1851 with Mercury retrograde. Well, I just saw the New York Times in Eugene, Oregon, which is at this market, and it's there every day. And this is now July of 2021. Well, if the New York Times is failing, why are they still publishing? Why is it still the same size? Why are they still recognized as the, the, the best newspaper in the United States? Maybe there's Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, and other ones. But, you know, New York Times has amazing reputa reputation. It didn't fail with Mercury Retrograde. So I put out the charts for that in Welcome to Planet Earth years ago, and then I added the fact um, in the Mercury Retrograde podcast, which is in the Mark Lerner Astrology radio uh, astroscope section. I, I often say it's podcast 25. I know that's the number, but you can find it in there. It's not that long. It's about an hour and a few minutes. Um, I added all these famous people from the past and present who have Mercury Retrograde, and most astrologers say, well, that's different. People having Mercury retrograde is different than when Mercury goes retrograde three times a year for three weeks at a time. No, it's not different. It's the same Mercury retrograde. And if and if people have Mercury retrograde and they're phenomenal in what they do, the use of their hands, their minds, their communication skills, business skills, um, medical skills, Mercury is said to rule medicine itself, the caduceus and so on. So at any rate, this whole thing of Mercury being retrograde is negative and bad and we shouldn't do things. This is not an appropriate use of astrology. I'm not saying it isn't important, but it's way overdone and we don't blame the other planets when they're retrograde. I, I, I've never seen articles, oh my God, Pluto's retrograde for five months and we've got to deal completely differently with all the Pluto principles across the board or Neptune or Saturn or Jupiter. Pla retrograding planets, by the way, because they're not following the dictates of the sun and moon, which always go forward, are basically stronger when they're retrograde in their own cycles. I've shared this before. You can make a great case to say when a Mercury is retrograde, in and of itself, the Mercury principles are being reinforced and strengthened by Mercury if we would just look at Mercury as doing what it needs to do during that time. So we, and also rather than thinking, oh, it's going retrograde, which is a terrible term anyway. In other words, we tend to think it's retroing, it's going backwards because it is retreating in the zodiac. What if it's actually going inward? Okay, not backward. Okay, it's going inward. 
in other words, it's deepening its soul, spiritual essence as a planet, as a school of energy in our solar system. So if we were to start thinking of retrograding planets as planets that are deepening their soul and spiritual qualities, then we would we would celebrate retrograde cycles. Right? I have several set of retrograde planets. I know many other people who have a lot of retrograde planets, and because of what has been written about that, they often feel very bad about their charts. So I have to correct them. And again, if you're somebody who was born and you think, oh, I've got so many retrograde planets, they can be incredibly powerful and, and powerful in, in the soul and esoteric and spiritual qualities that relate to that particular planet. So I've led into this whole thing. Here's what happened on May 17, 2004. Okay, so the, the premiere of the movie comes out. And when I saw this, by going into the two ephemerides, an asteroid ephemeris, and my other main ephemeris that has every single day for the sun, moon, and main plants for 100 years. I was totally shocked. On, on the, the premiere, and on that day, May 17, 2004, not the day before, not the day after, three, three celestial bodies were stationary, and they were all stopping to go in reverse. So Venus, which is traditionally the planet of love and friendship and creative artistry, and so many other principles, was in Gemini, an air sign, a communication sign, by the way, and stopped at 26 of Gemini, which actually is opposite the galactic center. And it's very strongly connected to, uh, for the United States, um, squaring, making a right angle, to the Neptune and the chaos uh, energies in Virgo at the top of the United States birth chart. And a lot of the movie connects up with what's happening in the United States. I won't spoil for you, but it has a lot to do with what, what happens in Los Angeles and, and the North Atlantic Ocean. Okay, so Venus is in Gemini, completely stopped on May 17th, when the day of tomorrow comes out to the world, stops, and when a planet is stationary to go, in this case, retrograde, but to go either retrograde or direct, its power for good or ill is enhanced. That's the whole point of a st stationary, it's like a giant stop sign. It's like a, a, a flashing red signal. When you see that or um, sirens or something going on on a busy road, you stop, you pay attention. So Venus stopped to go retrograde. And, and then we go retrograde for six weeks. And here's the thing. Rudyard, my main teacher, Dane Rudyard, said this, because he wrote a lot about Venus and Mars and all the different planets. He said, it's rarer to be born when Venus is retrograde than to have any other retrograde because Venus goes retrograde a small period of time every year and a half for six weeks. So that happened the day, uh, the day that the day after tomorrow uh, had its premiere in Mexico. Neptune considered the higher octave of Venus after Venus was after Neptune was discovered September twenty third, eighteen forty six, and the astrologers were looking at the different qualities of Neptune. They also realized because of things that were happening in eighteen forty six and the eighteen forties and after that had to do with the arts and music. Photography had just come into being. Um, as I mentioned before about the Carrington event, we had telegraphy and so many other things. So Neptune was in Aquarius, um, at, right in the middle of Aquarius, and very powerful area. The 15th degree, and I've shared this before, of the fixed power signs, Taurus, Leo, Scorpion, Aquarius, are considered gates of the Avatar by Dane Rudger. They're in the middle of each season. So in mundane or Earth astrology, one of the things we track is the start of each season. In other words, March 20th in the Northern Hemisphere is the beginning of spring. Then we get June 20th or 21st, beginning of summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Around September 23rd, the sun goes into Libra. We get the fall equinox in the north. And of course, we get the winter uh, winter solstice around December 20th, December 21, sun going into Capricorn. 
the middle point of each season is when the sun hits the middle of the fixed power signs. Those points are considered extra powerful. So get this. So the higher octave of Venus, which is Neptune, remember what I've been sharing, Neptune is currently in one of its home signs, a Pisces, in the last water sign. We're having all of these issues of the glaciers melting, floods all over the place, as well as the fires. Fires are connected a lot with Juno and Sagittarius with the south node of the moon, that's a fire sign. Vesta, which is a fire principle. As I said before, the thing about Vesta is it squared the United States Mars when the Biden administration started. By the way, on April 20th of this year, when Vesta came out of its retrograde and made a station, it was at six plus a Virgo. Well, what's six plus a Virgo? That's exactly squaring within one degree the rising sign of the United States, which is seven plus of Sagittarius. So we even had Vesta, safety and security and a fire principle making a right angle to the United States horizon, the Sagittarius rising in the Gemini setting of the U.S. chart that we've been using at Welcome to Planet Earth and the astrologers that are part of our um, uh, magazine for 20 years and all the research that we're doing. So every one of these asteroids is, is connected. When you look at the day after tomorrow, now I don't know, I'm using 7 p.m. Mexico City. I'm just figuring, well, they're doing a premiere. It could have been 6 o'clock, could have been 8 o'clock. Um, it did happen in May, so it would have been light out, you know, certainly until the early evening. But this is just an estimate. But you'll see the trident symbol of Neptune at the bottom of the chart. I don't know if it's exactly at the bottom, and I don't want to say that it is. But where it is is in the middle of Aquarius. It's at one of these gates of the Avatar. So now we've got two energies, Venus stopping in Gemini, an air sign, to go in reverse. Neptune, which has a 165-year cycle, also in an air sign, an incredible PowerPoint in Aquarius, the universal air sign. And remember, Neptune rules tsunamis. It rules waves. It has a lot to do with hurricanes. And it has a lot to do with confusion, as I said before, in terms of what's called the sixth ray, connecting to Mars as well, which can be a volatile planet in terms of life, as well as in terms of medicine in terms of accidents and things like that well what was the third one what was the third celestial body three celestial bodies decided somehow I, I shouldn't say decided but all three on that day not on the day before not on the day after stopping from the earth's point of view to go in reverse so the third one is juno okay one of the four main asteroids and juno is located and this is this is the kicker here 24 plus a capricorn Okay, on the day that the day after tomorrow come, comes out, remember it's focused a lot with American actors, okay, in particular. Now, there is Ian Holm uh, from England. He plays a major role um, as, a, as a scientist, as a researcher having to do with, with temperature and water and different things. And he's up in Scotland, interestingly, because that's where I went to, uh, to Findhorn. So he's up in Scotland uh, in this. I hope I'm not spoiling it for you. It's well worth watching a couple of times. At any rate, um, he's a great actor, and so he's in there. So Juno is at 24 plus a Capricorn, and you'll see it in the third house of this chart, and it's right next to Chiron. So they're in a conjunction at 24 and 25 of Capricorn. Where is Pluto now? Right there, 25 of Capricorn. It's gonna, Pluto is going to stop this October on the Juno position. Right there of the day after tomorrow. Pluto is the planet that's coming back in the United States chart. This is like um, the same sort of a similar thing that happened with Three Mile Island uh, disaster, almost total disaster in the nuclear facility on March 28th of 1979. And this amazing film uh, with Michael Douglas and, and Jane Fonda and Jack Lemmon, um, 
The China syndrome had just come out two weeks earlier. That took place in China, excuse me, in, in Los Angeles, in California. But then a real event of Three Mile Island. And I remember our going to the movies in 1979. Now remember, that's 1979, the same year that Pluto moved inside Neptune's orbit. And Three Mile Island um, in Pennsylvania was a near meltdown. Now again, we wound up having Chernobyl and then Fukushima are the worst ones that we ever have had or that we ever know of. And that's a whole other story, uh, Chernobyl in 1986. Um, also at a time when Uranus was very powerful in that chart, rising for Chernobyl. And then on March 11th of two, uh, 2011, we get Fukushima when Uranus is shifting from 30 of Pisces to zero of Aries. And I actually made a prediction on Coast to Coast, not that we'd have Fukushima, but I had uh, George Norrie had asked me um, in December of 2010, what did I see on the horizon uh, in the next couple of months? And I, and I, met, I, I saw that Uranus was going to go from Pisces into Aries on March 11, 2011. And that's when the, the um, hurricane and the tidal wave hit Fukushima. And we're still having issues with Fukushima. So that hasn't stopped. And that's connected to the planet Uranus in both cases. So the third celestial body, the day after tomorrow, it's very, very rare to have three celestial bodies on one day. Now, every so often when I look at events in history and look in the, see, here's the problem. If you ever get your chart done by somebody who doesn't have the actual ephemeris of the book that shows you how fast or slow the planets are, that person interpreting your chart will never talk to you about, oh, you were born when such and such a planet. I just did a reading today for somebody born um, in the 1950s, born with Neptune not moving. Um, I'm born when Uranus is not moving. If you look at um, John F. Kennedy, who, whose article, uh, The Wound That Never Heals, um, America's 20, Turning Point of the 20th Century, one of the main research projects, which is in our Earth Aquarius news area, and you can read that story. John F. Kennedy was born when Mercury and Uranus were both stationary. That, that's a, And they're a pair. When Uranus was discovered in 1781, and the astrologers started thinking about, well, what is Uranus connected to? Mercury, Mercury, Mercury. Mercury is the, the intellect. Uranus is the intuition. Mercury is a day-to-day -day communication, how we're thinking, language we're using. Uranus is, is a faster-moving energy. It's lightning-like thinking. It's shocks and surprises coming in from sort of a, a higher level, uh, changing how we think and what we're doing. So Uranus has always been considered the higher octave to Mercury. Neptune is considered the higher octave to Venus. I'm not saying Neptune is not connected to other planets. Like Neptune and the moon share a whole lot of energies, having to dreams, uh, images, memories, and things like that, uh, depending on where, what sign the moon is in and so on. But again, if you have ever had your chart done by somebody and they've never told you, do if you've never asked the question to your astrologer, do I have any stationary planets? They'd have to look that up. Now, there are certain uh, chart wheels which can show the astrologer the speed of planets. It depends on whether if they have uh, Sirius, the Sirius program, which is literally named after the Sirius star system uh, from uh, Cosmic Patterns. I use those charts when I do readings. And the charts that I send to each client, you'll see um, there are different boxes that have the, the symbols of the 12 signs of the zodiac, all the planets, including the four main asteroids and Chiron, so that if you've never seen your chart before, you get a complimentary chart. This is when I do telephone consultations. So you get your natal chart. There's boxes of speed, which will show sun, moon, 
Mercury through Pluto, the four main asteroids and Chiron, and it'll show how slowly or quickly the planets are moving, how many minutes of arc or degrees they're moving. So one could estimate if something's at zero, it means it's hardly moving, but you still have to go into what I call the Bible of astrology, which is fundamentally uh, the American ephemeris of the 20th century and the American ephemeris of the 21st century. Each one of those is a hundred years every single day. And that's where you, where you can see at a glance, if you see, um, a planet slowing down, there will be either an R for retrograde or a D for direct. And then you look in other boxes and you see, oh, for instance, May 17, 2004, when I open up the Neil Mickelson uh, American Ephemeris for the 20th century, you open it up to May of 2004. And right there, May 17th, you see a line across. And, and as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, Venus not moving, 26 Gemini, exactly stationary and going in reverse. Neptune on the same line. Stationing, 15 Aquarius, going retrograde. Then I opened up a different ephemeris that has the positions for the asteroids, the four main asteroids. I go to May 2004 on the 17th. Juno, stopping, 24 plus Capricorn, going into reverse. Three celestial bodies doing that. Now, the, here's the other thing to finish up. Okay, you can look at the, the day after tomorrow chart. I'll leave that for you. I'm, I don't want to get into all of the positions. There's some really amazing positions like... Just so you know, Mars and Saturn are together in the chart, in the probably in the eighth house, which is tr traditionally the house of death and rebirth and catharsis. Not always easy to have Mars and, and uh, Saturn in the moon sign and Cancer in particular. You'll also see Ceres, the largest planet, toward the top of the chart. Now, again, I don't know if it's exactly overhead, but it's definitely up there. But back to the Juno and the Chiron, the thing about Juno and Chiron in their conjunction in the day after tomorrow chart is they are exactly opposite where Mercury is, the Mercury that's retrograde on July 4th, 1776. So when the day after tomorrow comes out, again, based on a book by Art Bell and Whitley Strieber, who are both Americans and writers born within four days of each other, who are both sun sign Geminis, who share almost the same chart, except their moon positions are different because they're born four days apart and the moon uh, moves uh, one sign every two plus days. So Juno and Chiron, you'll see in this chart, and it's interesting because that's the third house, and the third house represents communication, and these two celestial bodies are opposite the United States Mercury. The other thing that's fascinating is, of course, um, where is the sun in this chart? 27 of Taurus, 27 plus a Taurus, because it's May 17, 2004. Well, that's right close to where Ceres and Sedna yesterday just made their conjunction at 29 of Taurus. So even the day after tomorrow movie, the first premiere, three of these planetary bodies stationary, which is like three red flashing lights saying to all of humanity, you got to watch this movie. It's based on this book by these two guys who were born ironically or synchronously four days apart, who are both Sun and Gemini, both very famous, who connected up on the Coast to, show, Coast, to Coast AM show, where again, they didn't allow astrologers. And fortunately, uh, after... Uh, Art Bell left for health reasons. He recently passed away. I think Whitley Strieber is still alive. And then George Norrie becomes the host, and, and I get to go on the show because somebody cancels out. And I've been able to be on there 30 times. So I think it's also fascinating that the sun, the life force, the now, the eternal now, generally related to character, and of course all the different sun signs, is with the, with the Pleiades, with the Seven Sisters, and where Ceres and Sedna are currently located. And so they're energizing that. You'll also see in the chart um, 
in all of these color charts, it's kind of blue and black. You'll see I've been, I've started putting in these different three, three letter abbreviations. And you might say, what are these things that Mark is putting into these charts? You'll see ORC. Well, that's Orcus. M-A-K. That, that has to do with Maki Maki. Orcus is an, is a planet, a faraway planet in our solar system that is a, a it's, has some Pluto characteristics. It has its own mythology. M-A-K, Maki Maki. Uh, that's a, a, a an outer planet named after a, a god of Easter Island. CHA is Shariklo that has a 62-year cycle. It's connected to Chiron, the wounded healer energy, um, which we see in this chart, the K with a little circle next to Juno, which looks like a little asterisk with a cross in the third house. Chiron has its feminine companion in Shariklo. That's in the late degree of, of Virgo in the 11th house of this chart. You'll see HAU. Well, what, what's HAU? Haumea a fertility uh, goddess of Hawaii. And there's others, Hygieia, HYG, you'll see that at 22 degrees of Cancer, not far from the Ceres position. You'll also, and here's another big one, Varuna, V-A-R. Okay, this is connected to a Hindu creation god. It's a real planet. Well, guess where that is? 13 Cancer 03. Well, what's at 13 Cancer 03? The United States Sun, July 4th, 1776. It's also within one degree of where the star Sirius the dog star is actually located in what we call uh, longitude in the sign Cancer. So when the United States came into being, you can tune into all the things about Freemasonry and deism and George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and all the founding fathers and mothers and so on. Why was July 4th the beginning? Uh, sun at 13 plus of Cancer. Then you get into all the esoteric thing of the 13 colonies, the different symbols on the dollar bill, things that are in Washington, D.C. It is interesting. I mean, these people knew astrology. They knew about numbers, Freemasonry, the connection back to Atlantis, the Great Pyramid on the, you know, the opposite of the, 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 the reverse side of the dollar bill with the all-seeing eye uh, at the top. I mean, where did the Great Seal of the United States? I mean, this is all very fascinating stuff. And it's not bad things. It's, it's things that are on a higher level, connected to stars, to constellations. To, to numbers, to empowerment. And here we see an example of a movie. Now I understand why when it, whenever I see it, you know, and if I'm tuning into some channels late at night or whatever, looking for a little bit of uh, entertainment that isn't, you know, it's very hard, as we all know, to be listening to the news or looking at the news. Um, it's been hard for, for many years and it's still very hard now. There's just so much confusion and negativity and we need different forms of, of outlets and so on in order to just keep our cool and stay sane be able to keep moving on. So, uh, and then Sedna, uh, let's not forget good old Sedna, uh, because Sedna is connected to Ceres now, this right now, and yesterday, and twice in January 2022. So if you look over there, by the way, I said I wasn't going to really interpret this, but here I am. In between the moon and the sun, which were nearing a new moon, they were not quite there. The day after, uh, the day after this show, the day after tomorrow premiere, May 18th, the sun and moon came together in a conjunction. And you know where that conjunction was? Right where Ceres and Sedna are now and where they will be in January. So even the premiere of the day after tomorrow and then the news of the of the premiere of the next day, hey, this movie just came out. Here's what we saw. The, the reviewers would have been saying, oh, wow, we were in Mexico and we saw this movie based on this uh, this book written by these two guys. Of course, they didn't know they were born four days apart. They were both Gemini's. And they had sort of communed together on a coast to coast AM. Uh, so the whole thing is very phenomenal. 
when the book came out, the fact that we're now talking about um, climate change happening almost, and it's very fascinating because I, I was going to read some of these headlines and I wasn't able to do that. At the, uh, something happened on my phone and it's still, it has to be plugged in. I was ready to read these different stories. So all I have to do is actually turn off the phone and so on, but I don't want to do that because I'm right at the end of the story here. But in the seventh house of this chart, you'll see the moon and the sun and in between them SED, which stands for Sedna, the planet that has the 11,400 year cycle. So the moon was approaching Sedna, this planet that I consider a kind of uh, Persephone figure, which in Greek mythology, she's the daughter of, of Ceres, okay? And she's stolen or kidnapped by Pluto, dragged into the underworld, and she represents kind of vegetation from the spring, the summer, and the fall that then goes into the underworld and where the land becomes barren. And so they have in, in Greece, the Eleusinian Mysteries, which is... Um, uh, Demetra George, a good uh, associate of mine who's written a lot about the asteroids, has been taking people to, to places like Delphi and Greece. Now, I don't know if she's, she's gone there recently. I got to go to Greece when I was 23 for a week on a trip where I was in uh, Amsterdam for a week. I was in Israel for a week, got to actually go to Jerusalem. And uh, it was like three incredible weeks. And then a week in Athens where I also got to go to, to Crete, the island of Crete, which was very interesting. But at any rate, Sedna is kind of a Persephone figure, but of the ocean, the ocean depths. And Sedna connects up to a mythology in Inuit Eskimo mythology, and it's really fascinating to read about it. In my Earth Aquarius news section, you'll see the story I wrote. I've mentioned it many times that um, when Donald Trump became president, January 20th of 2017, due to some really unusual things, and I did the chart for his inauguration, I saw that Eris, um, uh, this outer planet, in Aries was exactly on his Sedna, exactly to the degree and minute of arc. And then I realized all of us, everyone born 1946, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, in a kind of wave, we're all having one outer planet, Eris, that has a 560 year cycle um, going over our Sednas natally. And these two planets are just recently discovered. So in the midst of the day after tomorrow coming out, what are the odds that the sun and the moon are both in Taurus, where Ceres and Sedna are now together, and that Sedna would be right in between the sun and the moon? And let's not forget something. What's really interesting is that Sedna had just been discovered. You see, Sedna, Sedna was discovered in November of 2003, okay? And Sedna was located at about 17 plus degrees, not far from this position. So while the book, The Coming Global Superstorm, was written in 1999, and chaos had been discovered just before that uh, with the 309-year cycle. Again, chaos is this planet conjunct Neptune in the United States birth chart. And we've been having Pluto and chaos. Chaos is currently in late Gemini and Pluto in late Capricorn. They're making what's called a 150-degree arc, which basically is a oblique off-kilter alignment. There are some astrologers who think the 150-degree alignment or five signs apart is very favorable, but I've done a lot of research. And by the way, uh, for anybody who believes right off the bat that a hunt, uh, this is kind of a long story, but there are people, a lot of books have been written about this aspect. It's often called an inconjunct or quincunx, and it's when planets, they're not trying, which is usually considered more flowing and harmonious of 120 degrees. Oppositions are 180 degrees. In between those two is a quincunx or inconjunct of 150 degrees when planets are five signs apart. 
And there are a lot of people, uh, certain people who think those are favorable. It can be very favorable because it's, it's based on the energy of 30 degrees, 30 degrees, and so on. We know a sextile of 60 degrees is considered, at least traditionally, favorable. It's based on dividing the zodiac by six. Uh, six is considered a perfect number. In the Pythagorean numerology, going back to 500 BC, that's where we get the Seal of Solomon, the Star of David. Snowflakes are based on uh, the six-pointed star. Bees make their honeycombs in hexagonal formation. So we know the power of six. Five is the quintile, 72 degrees in astrology. Uh, and it's not considered a major aspect, but it really should be. Uh, Johannes Kepler, who was not just an astronomer, an astrologer, he brought us information back in the 1600s when he was doing astrology of the quintile and the biquintile, 72 degrees, 144 degrees. These are interesting patterns based on the number five, okay, the five-pointed star or the, the energy of five. And what did I bring up today, the five-pointed star? On the book that's, uh, that I uh, wrote, Mysteries of Venus, back in 1986 and self-published, which is out of print, on the cover is a Venusian figure where the Earth is, and there's a five-pointed star on the Earth that she's in, uh, envisioning. And she's wearing, actually, a medallion that's a six-pointed star. And at any rate, in that book is where I'm quoting from Esoteric Astrology about these five planetary inlets. So anyway, long story short, Sedna had just been discovered November 2003. It's in between the sun and moon. There was a new moon the next day after that premiere. Sun and moon would have been, again, with the seven sisters, the Pleiades, and now connected to where Ceres and Sedna are. I'm going to take my leave here. You now know a lot more about what is going on with this asteroid apocalypse. Let's just see timing-wise. Um, I think we've done it in almost the same as the last time, remarkably, two hours and 17 minutes. So um, just so you know, you know, sometimes it's hard to start these, and there's so much intensity. This is pretty much just extemporaneous. I've got a lot of pages and notes. I'm sure there's things I didn't share that I, that I wanted to share. Um, so there were so many, uh, there, was, there was something that just happened today. Oh yeah, I know what I wanted to say. Ali Velshi, who's, who, who's an economics reporter, but he was substituting for Rachel Maddow. This is literally today. A couple of hours before I started this, um, there was an amazing story he was talking about in, about smallpox in 1901 in Boston, where the local uh, people, because of smallpox, were forcing people to get their shots. And if they didn't get their shots, this is just to talk about whether we should force people to get vaccinations or not, and all those issues. It actually went to the Supreme Court of the United States. There was a, a reverend, this is a story that just came out tonight, based on newspaper reports and actual images that were shown on the program. That was literally tonight at 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Eastern. And he was substituting for Rachel Maddow, and it was in 1901, I think in December, and there was smallpox at that point. Again, we didn't have, they were just beginning to treat people, and Medicine wasn't anywhere near where it is now in 2021. 1901 is 120 years ago, and that's 17 years before the Spanish flu. And what happened was people in Boston or the mayor or the facility said, everybody has to get vaccinated. And if you don't, and this was amazing, you'd be fined $5. It's like $5, but $5 then is worth about $150 now. And then there was a particular reverend uh, in the story who said, I'm not going to do that. And he took the case all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And the Supreme Court of the United States ruled against him, talking about like, hey, there are freedoms in this country, but there are things that surmount that because we're a country 
again, it's very interesting when you think of like, um, and I'm not saying there aren't religious reasons uh, for why people might not want to be vaccinated. But the problem with this particular thing is when you study it as I have, go back to the bubonic plague of the 1300s. Um, this is my big concern because Jupiter and Saturn were in Aquarius in 1345, two years before the plague, which had started in China, took about 14 years from 1333 to 1347 to get to Florence. And the closest Jupiter-Saturn conjunction to the, the plague, um, the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague, whatever you want to call it. And again, in those days, and I've shared about this early on, the coronavirus and astrology, and Jupiter and Saturn came together in Aquarius and they were in air signs um, from the 1200s on into the 1300s. And the, the Black Plague went for six decades. In those days, they, they blamed um, witches. They blamed uh, people that they thought went against the church. They, they burned Jews. They were, who, anybody who was not a true believer they thought was somewhat devilish was, be, was considered to be the reason why this plague would come out. And they kept moving from one town to another thinking one, the, the air or the environment is bad or there's some kind of devil. And they didn't realize that it's, it was happening through their breathing and it was happening through a virus. It was happening through something that was contagious. So every time they'd move somewhere, the virus would go there. And then they would blame more people. And this would go on uh, where it where started in Florence, then it would go to Germany, then it would go to France, then it would go to England, then it would go to Ireland, then it would come back again and so on. And there's a great history book. And I was reading that in one of the coronavirus and astrology things. Now, we could say, well, that's not going to happen anymore. But look what's happening now. And look what happened in 1918. The same thing kind of happened. There were two waves and people like in Philadelphia and San Francisco, they got sick and tired of wearing masks. And then they gathered together for parades. This had to do with World War One was ending and so on. By the way, let me finish up because the reason I brought this up was I have focused on the beginning of World War One and the beginning of World War Two. So get this. Okay. When World War One starts, which is basically the guns of August, um, what happens is the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, I've written about this over and over again, Welcome Planet Earth, he's assassinated June 28th, 1914 in Sarajevo by 19-year-old uh, extremist uh, Gavrilo Princip working for an organization called the Black Hand. This, this is basically um, kind of the shot heard around the world. On June 28th, the Sunday morning, he, uh, he shoots... It's a whole amazing thing, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife, and they're, they're killed that day. And this starts the whole thing of Germany and Austria-Hungary going against uh, England and France, which was allied then with, with Russia, and Italy and Austria-Hungary is allied with Germany and Turkey and so on, and this starts World War I. And it all begins, as Barbara Tuckman, who wrote... Um, uh, I guess it's the Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Guns of August. By the way, in the movie 13 Days about uh, John F. Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis is one of the best movies ever. So I got the day after tomorrow's way up there. I mean, I've got a lot of movies that I love, but 13 Days um, is just absolutely incredible. And it's, it's by Robert Kennedy's book. And this is another whole thing. At some point, I'll get into the astrology of that time period in October of 1962. I have referred to it even in, recently in the podcast before the last one about UFOs, Geneva, and so on. I read from my atomic nuclear um, uh, article when, when Welcome to Planet Earth was a newsletter in Taurus or uh, May of 1982. And so I read that just, which is what, 39 years ago when Welcome to Planet Earth wasn't even a newspaper yet or a magazine. 
So it was right at the beginning, and I wrote this main story about um, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, uh, December 2nd, 1942, the first nuclear chain reaction. So if you want to hear my rendition of that, it's in that particular podcast, which is only two podcasts ago. So back to this thing about the start of World War One and the start of World War II. The reason why in conjuncts or planets that are five signs apart, and I brought this up because chaos, that real planet is 150 degrees to Pluto now, Pluto in, in late Capricorn, chaos in late Gemini, and they a lot of their energies this year have been in a in a square pattern, and so that's not a very easy thing between a a, a planet chaos that has a three hundred nine year cycle and Pluto that has a two hundred forty seven year cycle, and they are interacting in what I call an uncomfortable relation. So there are people who think, well, the hundred and fifty degree aspect, and it happens a lot of people's charts and transits. You'll see me sharing about it in Astrology Cosmic Calendar, or when I'm talking about a famous person, or whatever chart it is. And so World War I starts on July 31, August 1, about a month after the Archduke is assassinated. That's when all hell breaks loose. And I've been watching, there's a station, in case you can get it, I really recommend it, the American Heroes Channel, AHC. Uh, on Spectrum, it's 67, but at any rate... It has great documentaries, and they're, they're disturbing. World War One. In fact, the interesting thing was they have a whole series called uh, uh, Apocalypse, World War One. I. I forget the exact title, but it's uh, War Apocalypse. It's a series of things on how World War One started. And then there's Apocalypse Hitler, Apocalypse Stalin, Apocalypse Ben, ben Laden, Apocalypse Mao. They, they take a lot of these dictators and uh, intense uh, figures and do these great documentaries, often with real, real footage and color footage and so on. And I was watching, uh, particularly, it's very phenomenal. You can see the Kaiser Wilhelm. These are real pictures. They're not people, per, you know, performing like them. You can see that, you can see um, the Tsar of Russia, who's a cousin to King George, that they're, they look almost exactly like, and this is real footage. Um, so it's, they were using the term apocalypse for the start of World War I. At any rate, Venus and Jupiter, Venus and Virgo and Jupiter in Aquarius were exactly, exactly 150 degrees apart at the start of World War I. So get this. So the two traditional planets of peace and positivity, the two benefics, the two planets that in traditional astrology are the good planets, Mars and Saturn were considered more difficult, not that that's true in general, and Venus and Jupiter can have negative qualities. So World War I breaks out, which is really the seed for then World War II, because nothing ever gets resolved, and then the war goes from 1914 to 1918, and then they start up again when Hitler invades Poland, September 1, 1939, and then we have that whole uh, second apocalypse of World War II. So on the day that World War I starts and all hell breaks loose in Europe and then goes around the planet, Venus and Jupiter, Venus is in Virgo, uh, Jupiter and Aquarius, they're 150 degrees apart. Exactly. What are the odds that on September 1, 1939, when Hitler invades Poland and then they had formed the, the, the infamous Russian-German non-aggression pact on August 24th, a week before, the day that Mars wasn't moving in the sky, on the, when Mars is stationary, which Mars is traditionally the planet of war, when it's very negative and bloodshed and 
all kinds of things, even though it re relates to soldiers and sports and personal willpower and v valor and idealism when it's positive. Negatively, fanaticism, uh, all kinds of intolerance, anger, bloodshed, killings, and so on when it gets really negative. Mars is not moving. There's The world gets shocked because Russia and, and, and uh, Germany are alien forces because of communism in, in, in Russia is not compatible with authoritarianism and dict dictator by Adolf Hitler in Germany. And they form an alliance and they both start invading Poland, although Russia does it a little later. But World War II starts, um, and there's an exact time, I think it's 4.45 in the morning. I guess you could call it from Berlin because that's where it's directed, although it's, it's really in Poland and there's this whole bogus situation the Germans do to disguise up their troops as if they're Polish and that they invaded a German radio station, killed some Germans. The whole thing was was um, a theatrical performance in order to blame Poland, and it wasn't true at all. And then that starts World War II. And Venus again is in Virgo, and Jupiter is in Aries, and again, they're exactly 150 degrees apart. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever studied that. Somebody probably has, maybe in Europe. Why were the two Sokolopinefics exactly 150 degrees apart? Venus is in Virgo in the same place. By the way, Jupiter is retrograde in both of those charts. Now, that's just the way it is. And we could maybe make a case to say, well, okay, now let's blame Jupiter for that. I think it's the aspect, Venus and Jupiter, 150 degrees. Now, that aspect is going to happen every so often. Now, the people who instigate that, like Adolf Hitler, born with the sun at the beginning of Taurus, he, his sun sign is, is, he's Venus ruled. He was born with Libra rising. So Venus ruled his chart. Do you see what I mean? He's the instigator of all that. So the thing is, his Venus 150 degrees to Jupiter could represent, okay, not only does he start this big giant devastation, 150 degrees, but eventually it, it leads to his own demise and the destruction of so many people, the war goes very badly and so on and so forth. And also the irony is it starts with, the non-aggression pact between Germany and Russia, and then Hitler winds up on January, uh, June 22nd, 1941, at the summer solstice, a year and a half later, with Operation Barbarossa, and like Napoleon, attempts to invade Russia. And by the way, that leads back to something else I've been talking about, when, when somebody is born with Saturn overhead. So Napoleon was born with Saturn overhead, which is considered a great rise and potentially a fall. And then Hitler was born with Saturn overhead and also stationary, hardly moving. And then uh, Richard Nixon was born with Saturn overhead and John F. Kennedy, both who went against each other in 1960, both came uh, into the Congress in 1947 and both served in the Navy and were born four years apart, 1913 of Richard Nixon, 1917 for JFK. Now, when we get into, uh, it, it is interesting too that both be wound up, one dying tragically in Dallas, Texas, not fulfilling his, his term of office after defeating Richard Nixon in close election 1960 that some people felt might have been stolen. And we're going to get into that next time on the uh, Void of Course Moon. And then Richard Nixon, great comeback, 1968, becoming president, and then winning tremendous victory. Uh, well, the first one was over Hubert Humphrey and George Wallace in a close election, but then the second time over McGovern was a slaughter. And then a year and a half later, because of Watergate, he resigns in disgrace. So these forces are very fascinating. And it's interesting that Nixon, JFK, Hitler, and Napoleon all shared something that astrologers talked about a long time. 
Saturn in the 10th house in a birth chart can be, you know, very po powerful, but you have to be careful because every planet has a shadow side. Venus and Jupiter, as I'm saying, 150 degrees apart, start of World War One, ex exactly. And then World War II starts. And, and this is starting 25 years later. Okay, 1914, August 1, start of World War One, guns of August, September 1, 1935. 25 years and one month later, the same exact Venus-Jupiter arc of 150 degrees, Venus and Virgo in both of those signs, Jupiter in Aquarius in one, Aries another retrograde, and when Jupiter boomerangs, it can do big things in a negative way, particularly if someone's behaving too arrogantly and think they're the king of the gods. Undoubtedly, that's, that's what the German Kaiser felt and leaders of Austria-Hungary in starting World War I even though they were all part of a big family of, of different you know, cousins and people were all related. This is a whole family squabble at any rate. So I've gone off on a little tangent here, but it, it then rounds everything out um, about the power of different alignments here. So part of it was because I wanted you to know that chaos and, and, and Pluto are, are kind of troublemakers to each other. They're 150 degrees on and off this year, and that's not helping some of these cycles like Saturn square Uranus or now that we know Ceres is with Sedna and just started, and that'll happen two more times, Pallas and Neptune coming together. And by the way, the Pallas-Neptune conjunction, which is so connected to the immune system and the dangers there with the variants and so on, that conjunction is exactly uh, very close to squaring, I shouldn't say exact, but it is squaring uh, the area where chaos is located. And in the next couple of years, um, we, we have a situation where that planet chaos is actually going to reach zero of cancer, summer solstice point. And I did start researching that, and I'll report back on another time. And that's a very powerful energy uh, area, uh, zero of cancer, uh, the summer solstice point. So this planet chaos, a real planet, 309-year cycle, it's part of these outer planets like Sedna, Eris, these other ones I'm talking about, Orcus, Makimaki, Shiriklo, Haumea. Shiriklo is a... Uh, centaur body so it's not a faraway planet beyond pluto but these other ones that i have in the chart for the day after tomorrow uh varuna orcus makimaki haumea sedna there's uh iris is also in in here by the way iris i forgot to mention is at 20 of aries in the day after tomorrow 20 of aries you'll see iris eri which is uh again the sister of mars planet considered the catalyst of the trojan war between uh, Troy and Greece, and there are many other things. That's the United States Chiron position, 20 plus of Aries, almost exactly. So Eris is on the U.S. Chiron on the day that the day after tomorrow came out. Also, there's two other planets that I, I didn't mention. Quaor, Q-U-A, is near Pluto and Sagittarius at 13 degrees. And Ixion is another planet, I-X-I. These are all other actual planets in our solar system. And Quayor, which is named after a Native American tribe in the greater Los Angeles area, and Varuna. Varuna, I mentioned, is on the United States sun and near the star Sirius in the ninth house of the day after tomorrow at 13 of Cancer. Quayor is at 13 of Sagittarius. That is an inconjunct. That is 150 degrees, just like I'm saying about Venus and Jupiter at the start of World War One, start of World War Two. So now you know more about my feelings about inconjuncts. It's part of the reason in the... Um, in the daily cosmic calendar in the astrology cosmic calendar with a k to subscribe to 
in the app for iOS and Android, you'll often see me talking about planets that are 150 degrees apart whenever the sun, the moon, not so much the moon, but the sun making those alignments or major planets in 150 degree alignments. They are alignments of adjustment and often difficulties and challenges. So I don't believe that the 150 degree aspect, as some astrologers feel, should be seen as kumbaya, positive, it's flowing, because it isn't a trine of 120 degrees, which is usually more harmonious, not always, but usually, and it isn't an opposition. Sometimes oppositions can be illuminating. After all, the full moon is an opposition. And so full moons can be times where people can get deranged, can get to be lunatics, can go overboard. There's too much energy. The tides of the moon, all the stories about werewolves and different things like that, shape-shifting and effects on animals and other turbulence at full moons. But it is the time in, in recent decades, particularly in the West and the East connecting after the Beatles, uh, in particular um, in the 60s, went over to England, the Maharishi and other teachers like R.D. Lang and Alan Watts, uh, some of the American writers who were tuning into uh, books like uh, Philosophy East and West and other things like that to open the door to understanding more about the traditions of the Far East and Asia and so on. Just like um, the Alice Bailey books, um, where she's bringing in the teachings of the Tibetan master DK, is, is another tremendous connection between the East and the West. So I'll leave you with all of that. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, next time, uh, I unless something intervenes and there's another major story, we've done these two parts on the asteroid apocalypse. The asteroids are still incredibly positive. You should look into getting the four asteroids and Chiron natal report from, from the astrology shop. Um, the, the astrology report section, it's well worth getting that, knowing where your asteroids are, knowing the houses, knowing their fundamental meanings, their mythology, uh, what signs of the zodiac they're in, and the major alignments that they have. It's, it's a relatively inex inexpensive way to do it, or to get it as this three for one with just for women and a year of Skylog, that special offer. So all of that's at greatbearenterprises.com, www.greatbearenterprises.com. So thank you very much for listening. Everybody take care. Um, many healing and inspirational blessings to all of you. I look forward to sharing with you the next time. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.